Crash Chords Podcast. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. I'm John. I'm Steve. And welcome to another episode of our wonderful show. We're so wonderful. happy to have you. It is wonderful. 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 I would say provocative. I would say introspective. I'm trying, I was trying to go the Mr. Rogers I route, you know, be inviting and warm. Would you like to come over and play? I'm knitting. He's yeah. not from Minnesota. He didn't Actually, knit. I don't know don't where he's from. Start. He's not from Minnesota, though. Maybe he is. I don't but know. I have no idea where he's really? from. Not even, like, to start questioning Steve, where to he... the internet. <laughs> All right, so you do your thing. Yeah. I'll be checking so this weird. out in the meantime. It was so weird when I figured out that he was actually one of the guys, like, responsible for PBS. Yeah, he actually spoke in front of Congress. Like, in, like, the 60s. It's very moving. If anyone doesn't know about that, you can find it on YouTube, where he spoke in front of Congress in this very moving, impassioned speech where he actually asked all of Congress to be silent for exactly 10 seconds and think about the people who made you who you were. Wow. Yeah. It's really powerful. I watched seasons and seasons of that. Oh, yeah. I I think everybody did. I hope they... Do they still air... Uh, they no. must on Channel Thirteen on PBS. They must. Yet the trolley yeah, is not I, I, nearly I'm as good. I'm surprised as by the amount of things of which I've said that too. To yeah, that's true. <laughs> not to be true. I mean, uh, Sesame Street's no longer there. Now it's on HBO. Yeah, and that's like wait, what? what? Yeah, it's paid program. They revamped it. It's now yeah. a half an hour show because they, they, they came to the conclusion through their extensive testing that uh, children do not have the extension span for an hour long show. So they revamped it. And put I it always on had HBO. the attention span. Are you I kidding? I always had plenty. I would, sit, I would sit through reruns of Doug just to be watching the TV at the right time to catch the Batman Superman adventures for an hour long. I believe you had to have an attention span for Mr. Rogers in fact even though it was only a half an hour. The fact that it well, was so slow paced. Yeah. That was why so slow. Like he put but, his jacket on before he came in and then he took it off. But that's why I think it was therapeutic for children. That's why I think it was yeah. really like well, or even not therapeutic. It would allow them to have an attention span that I think would foster in later life. Yeah, I think so too. Well, this is actually a, a good point to bring up my store because we when I when basically when I sell models to kids, I'm selling it to the parent as no, this is going to teach them patience and three dimensional <laughs> thinking. It is true. That's it nice. is true. That is but nice. that's like that's a major part of my spiel. No, like, I appreciate. He'll that. sit down for hours and be quiet and build it. You may never hear this, but I have more respect for you now. He'll never say that again. But it's been recorded. I know. I that, have. That's a part of your job. Can you cut that one part and I, so I can play it on loop? No, no. I may delete it. He may delete it later. There was <laughs> a clean break on either side of this it. This may so never be in the right episode. If you're listening, really weird, I've been kind. Which is which is really weird because we're talking about it, yet haven't repeated it, so something could get cut and nobody will know. So this week's album is... John, at the cutting edge of childhood <laughs> education. Um, this week's album is my pick. Um... If you listened last week, you already know, but those just tuning in today, it is, of course, and if you blindly clicked on the episode without reading the page, ah, hell, you already know what it's going to be. It's impossible to join us on this podcast and not know what we're going to do. Yeah. But that said... We kind of bait you. um, I picked Paul Simon's newest record, Stranger to Stranger. Um, I'm I'm a Paul Simon fan. He's kind of just you always been throughout my life. My dad was a big Simon Garfunkel fan and a Paul Simon fan, and so his music was always being played around me. But um, I want to share a little anecdote about how I came to know Paul Simon pretty well 
through a pretty funny story. So Paul Simon's song, You Can Call Me Al, which the music video of, uh, features comedian Chevy Chase, probably at the height of his career in the mid-80s, was a fun kind of silly song where Paul Simon's the silent protagonist, or not even, he's the silent kind of sidekick playing all the instruments while Chevy Chase lip syncs the entire song. But a question, who's Al? It was there, I had to take it. Yeah, okay. As Matt continues. <laughs> As I continue ignoring John's stupid comment. No, there aren't stupid comments, only stupid people, it's fine. Oh wait, maybe that should have been the other way around. Anyway. I'm, I'm so glad you're into this. He needs to be taken down the peg uh, that I just put him uh, up right. on. Yeah, sure, no, I totally don't know what's going on. My mind is blown. <laughs> but um, Steve likes me, Matt doesn't. This is weird. Um, the anecdote continues. The anecdote continues. So, um, I, the, You Can Call Me Al is the first song I ever heard by Paul Simon, knowing it was Paul Simon. I'd probably heard Simon and Garfunkel growing up and not necessarily been aware that it was them per se, but finding out later. Of course, when You Can Call Me Out came out, I was three. So I'm guessing the music video came out around when I was four. The reason this is a funny story is because the way Chevy Chase is set up in the video, he's singing the song. So a child, not knowing who Paul Simon is, not knowing what his voice sounds like or Chevy Chase's voice sounds you like, thought that I thought Chevy Chase was for, Paul Simon. For a while, probably at least months and months, I thought Chevy Chase was Paul Simon. Because uh. in the video, it's he's singing. And the the I suspect rather large uh, demographic of people who love Paul Simon and hate Chippy Chase. Right? Well, I'm part of that demographic. They are very confused yeah. by you right now. Well, like I said, this is not when I was an adult male. This is when I was three. Yeah. Um, a three-year-old one. Uh, ha ha. Yeah. And being three years old, you look at something face value and go, "Oh, he's singing. It's a song. He must be the singer." So, and held Chevy Chase had a, had a he had a couple good things. He he, he did he some good things. He had plenty of good things. Yeah, but mm. he also had the Chevy Chase show. But he also had Caddyshack <laughs> and Vacation. He's not. He is was was Fletch. Like, Fletch. I think you Fletch. actually just went through my whole list of things that I like. Actually, <laughs> Caddyshack really was it. great in spite of Chevy Chase. I'm going to be honest about that. Uh, no, I I, I I agree with John on this. Uh, all right, but Fletch. Oh, Fletch going to be a John. Fletch day. is a solid movie. You can't deny. And never it's saw funny. It. Never saw it. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Only the first Jeez. few things on your list. I'm not enthused about it, but like that, you should definitely see that movie. Okay. Yeah. We're right. old enough. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway. So um, I just think it's funny that that was my first experience with him. Of course, after realizing that that was not the case and getting very into Paul Simon stuff, I of course uh, dug deep back into Simon and Garfunkel as well as Paul Simon's solo stuff. And I'm going to say something very blasphemous before I pass it off to Steve. I find. I enjoy Paul Simon solo better than in Simon and Garfunkel. Okay, no, um, no, I'm going to refute that because before Steve can actually take this you over, you can't I... refute what I like. Yes, you I can't can. refute I'm what I like. I'm going to do that anyway because <laughs> my first experience was actually the duality of Sounds of Silence and Parsley Sage, Rosemary, and Time, the two big albums that Simon and Garfunkel did, and they were full of greatest hits by to a T. Every track on those albums I just thoroughly enjoyed. And it wasn't really until I started getting my own musical thing going that I saw Paul Simon separately from the Simon and Garfunkel I grew up knowing. Because while I did know songs like I Am A Rock and all that sort of stuff, like the greatest hits from his solo career, um, I did end up picking up his 1965 first solo album, The Paul Simon Songbook, on my own. Just be like, oh, Paul Simon. I thought it was a Simon and Garfunkel. I'll be honest. I was young. Don't judge me. But um, I got it, brought it home. And my, dad's, my dad's like, oh, I haven't heard this forever. We listened to it. It was like, 
oh, where's Garfunkel? Like, I know, I know Simon does this thing, but where's Garfunkel? He's like, no, this is just Paul Simon. I was like, wow, okay. It didn't sound that much different than his previous work as a pair, but it was something a little bit different. And it made me realize, yes, I like him better than Garfunkel, but I got to still be honest. I think his previous collaborations were, in fact, better. Hmm. All right. This is interesting because I, I guess it is probably true for me that the duo was the most recognizable form of Paul Simon's work. You take away Art Garfunkel, and it, it didn't, like, leap out as Paul Simon until you're more familiar, and eventually did become more familiar with his work, and then I'm like, all right, yeah, I could spot Paul Simon a mile away. Also, it helps that Paul Simon wrote a lot of, like, almost all of the material yeah. of Simon and Garfunkel. So Art Garfunkel was just the singer. It was more of a tool, and, you know, idea-wise, Paul Simon could clearly hold his own. But... Perhaps unlike you guys, I think the bigger point for me is that perhaps unlike a lot of bands who dabble in multiple styles, uh, which I welcome because it keeps a lot of the, the spice in the mix, well, Paul Simon is a musician with whom I'm pretty married to the core folk ideas. Up till now, I really wasn't all that crazy about the reggae influences that he later put in, the African influence, the Latin influence, and I enjoy those genres separately. I just think they've been mastered by a whole other train of musicians. See, Paul Simon is kind of a dabbler. He likes it, and I, you can't fault him, but he excels at folk. He excels at melodies and making songs, like singer-songwriting, really, really interesting. And that, to me, shines through best when it's stripped down as all hell. Voice, guitar, maybe a second voice, Garfunkel, <coughs> cough, and that's it. All the other stuff, the shakers, the percussion, had all been kind of fluffy to me. With some exceptions, it was always kind of fluffy, actually, even going back to the 60s when he first started infusing it. I leave room, of course, for being surprised, and there are definitely exceptions in this. But that's just been the case up to now. It had really nothing to do with the Simon and Garfunkel divide. I think that's uh, that's not really my my big issue. So whether it was with Garfunkel or without him, the more stripped, the more intimate, uh, the more focused his songs, the better. All right. I mean, I th I think it's interesting. Well, okay. For one, it says something to the skill and talent of an artist if we have three almost completely different views about the same man. It means that there's dimensions to him, and it means that he can appeal to a broad audience for different mm -hmm. reasons. Yeah. Which I think is 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 kind of a duh thing when talking about Paul Simon anyway. Well, it does make me see, just to back to the original point, it makes mm -hmm. me see Garfunkel as kind of just... I don't want to diminish him in this way because he was an amazing vocalist, mm -hmm. but it makes it seem like Garfunkel was just another instrument in the history of Paul Simon's work. Yeah, I mean, it does come across that way. I mean, but yeah, that does oversimplify it, I think, in a kind of unfair yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so I don't mean to do that. I didn't, I didn't do it. Just forget it. Yeah, we'll just forget, we'll edit it out. It's <laughs> fine. No, we it's won't. one way to view it. We won't That's edit all it, it is. Out. No editing. This is going to be a raw yeah. episode nope. because I want my compliment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, get into. Like I said, the album is. Stranger to Stranger by Paul Simon. The rumor has it that this is his last album. He's going to be retiring. This did come out this year, 2016. I believe only a month ago. I, I didn't, believe I didn't heard... hear that personally. I heard that maybe he was retiring from touring, which meant that he could do a whole like back to the studio it's kind of thing. Been, I don't know. It's been nebulous. I mean, think about all these other bands who have said they're retiring and then still put out. I, heard, I heard a quote. Earl Smith. Yeah. Kiss. <laughs> Kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might want to get that checked. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a rumor that he said something to the effect of he doesn't get 
getting the enjoyment out of touring anymore. I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know, know either. Many, I know he was in New York recently, actually. He I don't played, know many uh, musicians that have been doing it as long as him that actually do get enjoyment out of touring anymore. Aside from the massive yeah, checks, because well, that's, that's true. where they I make mean, the bulk of their money. Considering the majority, the amount of years there, it, it does have to, you know, wear on you I'm, a little. I imagine. Well, I mean, also, he's not as young as he used to be. I imagine it's not easy for the scheduling, for the getting up, the and going. just to hop over uh, to Art Garfunkel, even though we're not doing him today, of course, his experience was that he had a lot of vocal troubles mm-hmm. uh, around, like, the late 2000s. Yeah. Uh, it should be pretty good from now on, I think. Maybe he had just had to work out a case of, I think it was something like vocal cord par- paresis. Yeah. Something of that nature. Like a paralysis, yeah, maybe? Yeah, not a paralysis. Paresis. I oh, forget paresis, how it's pronounced. Okay. But I believe that he's he's maintained his... He's at a, a place where he can kind of continue where he's at, but he doesn't sound like he used to. Right. But that said, he managed to keep like his little ethereal falsetto there for years and years and years and years. It was said to not change at all from like his teenage years all the way up to his 50s. Like wow. imperceptibly different. So... Now, you know, he's just slightly lower register. Still probably an amazing vocalist. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That oh. can't hurt his work. <laughs> no. No. no Going sure. lower, that can't hurt. Yeah. No, it can't. And Paul Simon, you know, it's not that different either. He just has a little bit of age, that's all. Yeah, I mean, his It's boy... not to the extent, let's say, like, you know, of older musicians that we've reviewed. You know, we did Paul McCartney, and there was some... You could definitely tell the difference in There was some voice. blatant deterioration there. Right, whereas with Paul Simon, he sounds pretty similar. I mean, you know, you it's got an age that doesn't sound like wear. It sounds like growth. It sounds like change, but it doesn't necessarily sound like wear and tear. Well, I mean, the vocals that he presented in his earlier years compared to the vocals, and we'll jump jump right into track one, The Werewolf, and make this comparison. Yes, they haven't changed, but with The Werewolf, the vocals that are going on right here are very talky. They're very spoken. very soft. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he never really did a lot of higher singing, of broad singing. Like the ones that come to mind, like Mean Julio in the schoolyard, he's not really, you know, trying to hit falsettos or anything like that, or going no. real deep baritones. That's not really his style. His style is soothing, and that kind of precludes going he's too high. He's always kind of the singing, spoken kind the of The only mix. thing that I can kind of see is that he doesn't hold his notes for quite as long. Yeah. That's about the only thing that I could see. He does it maybe once on this record, but yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not common. But all right, so The Werewolf. Um, it starts with this strange plucked tone. It sounds like someone's grabbing all the guitar strings at once and pulling them away from the well, I believe it was something called like a, the opening sound, but it's something called a gopachand. Um, it's an instrument that's sort of like a one-stringed instrument, and it has it, you hear like a slide. It almost sounds like a bottleneck guitar. Yeah. And then following that is all these, pl- it, there's plucks, there's shakers, there's all these things that I guess I did kind of say that I wasn't crazy about next to his folk stuff, you know, just for starters, but we're not comparing this to Paul Simon's previous work. We're comparing it to all that is out there, and it's still a pretty interesting array of texture. Mm-hmm. Of you know, what I really enjoyed in the be- in, toward the beginning, in fact, was the the pitched percussion that like that that sort of bendy, you know, boom boom mm-hmm. boom. It, it's, you can hear it as like the lowest uh, instrument there. And so, yeah, all right, I was ready for this. I was ready just to hear vocals over this because it's just an interesting thing to kind of bob to, to groove to. I, I liked the mix of sounds and when his vocals come in I like how he kind of plays with I mean there's not really a melody here but he plays with the rhythm that's happening and and it's something he's kind of always done especially when he kind of goes into this more spoken singing that he's doing here this kind of mix of saying words and then kind of singing a few words here and there yeah when the rhymes come along Mm -hmm. such as in the first lines Milwaukee man led a fairly decent life made a fairly decent living had a fairly decent wife when life and wife hit 
they actually are hitting in the same uh, area. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, of the, it's, of it's the kind progression of, of this. It's of, kind of, of loose. Four, four, but he he's like he doesn't drag out the note necessarily, but it's sort of like he fades on it. He, it's it's a little bit of a, a, a weaker word in in the overall arch of the phrase, and then he continues with that with she killed him a uh, sushi knife, and he takes his time. Very with that like one. it's very loose and and he could just be talking like yeah yeah. I, like just telling a story. I wonder if there are any Paul Simon audiobooks out there. I would listen to that in a heartbeat. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of audiobooks, if you write an audio autobiography, you, uh, they usually get the person who wrote the autobiography to read it themselves. So it's the, in their voice. I seem to actually recall that it was a previous episode of the podcast where you made me aware of that fact. Yes. <laughs> but I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks. So, uh, you know. But that said, I mean, I imagine if he did write something about his life, I would listen to him talk about it. Sure. Well, even if you did, like... I would hear his voice doing that anyway. Right, If he wrote an autobiography. If I knew it was Paul Simon, I mean, he's just got very sweet, mellowed tones coming out of those vocal cords. And also lends the fact that he tells so many stories. I mean, he's a born storyteller. He Mm -hmm. goes from one character to the other. He invents characters. Some of them are based on real people. Almost like like, a narrator. Which is why I say audiobook. It doesn't have to be his autobiography to any stretch. That's true. Um, So, of course, there is the way he continues. She killed him. uh, Sushi knife. Now they're shopping for a fairly decent afterlife. Just a little cheeky, you know, aside. I don't know who Milwaukee Man is, but uh, sounds like he had a rough time of it. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess as early as this, it it seems like an odd backdrop, though. I will say at this point, you know, I don't picture this kind of, like, just consistent shaking as, like, the background to this. I could just as easily see these lyrics, for instance, over the very, very stripped-down guy and guitar, maybe second guy, you know, second vocalist atmosphere, the the old-school Simon and Garfunkel style. And that's where the chorus comes in, though. That's what cements it to the theme of this track, The Werewolf is Coming. That's one rendition, but later on it gets repeated with each chorus. The Werewolf... We actually had a nice little debate earlier trying to figure out exactly what this track is about, and we came to the conclusion, Death and Taxes. Death and Taxes. The inevitability. Uh, The theme that's going on here in the verses is about money, about the fiscal, the financial. It's it's, it's specifically about, you know... The uh, haves and have-nots in a lot of places, too. Well, for the very first verse, obviously you got the you know you got the death vibe, um, and then with the werewolf is coming, you could see something encroaching. So that's where I was pretty much tethered to death. And then, of course, he continued from there into the fact is most obits are mixed reviews. Life is a lottery; a lot of people lose, and the winners, the grinners with money-colored eyes, eat all the nuggets. Then they order extra fries. So he just starts adding on top of you know the obvious. Uh, theme of death. He starts adding the notion that, well, there are people, money grubbers, it's about that will, ca- they will exploit this. Well, yeah, it's the idea of death and capitalism, and that capitalism kind of leads to death, even, depending on how you look at it. I just take it as ex- exploitation. Like, you know, if the people will take advantage of, you know, any particular thing. If you died, the I really like that phrase. Uh, the fact is, most obits, obituaries are mixed reviews. You know, people, history is written by the victors, I guess. If there's someone, if you have the opportunity to uh, impugn someone's character, you will. And they can't do anything about it after they're dead. And then the lines that show up later, ignorance and arrogance, a national debate. Put the fight in Vegas, that's a billion dollar gate. And the line, revenues, pay-per-views, it should be pretty healthy. The usual production, and it all goes to the wealthy. I mean, he, this is more this is more blatant calling out yeah. of 
the 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 capitalist notion yeah, or the haves and have nots kind of divide. That's yeah. where it was pretty that obvious. Is here. But I, that's when I actually started taking it. Not that there's just death and taxes, but this is more of a story of the inevitability of it. Of the 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 idea that the only thing that's certain is death and taxes, and it's not just you know talking about one and the other. Death is the werewolf. Death is dangerous. Death is serious. The money parts are a little more fantastical, and it's putting in the light that capitalism and money and earning money and getting all the stuff you need in the world and being rich is not nearly an important idea compared to the fact that life ends. That it, you can't you can't make the same sort of comparison. I guess you could he, argue that that's why you know the rest of the all the the sounds that are happening right here they all sound yeah they do sound a little bit more fa- fanciful the 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 texture all these I think I heard a didgeridoo in there at some point there is, there's yeah, there's I a little bit more extra there's an extra thump that comes in in the chorus for intensity but you still have the original pitch, pitch percussion from earlier it almost feels like tablas and it is very fanciful you can almost it, it feels positive in many ways I actually took it that maybe you know there is something kind of I would agree yeah money doesn't matter next to death like it does seem kind of trite and also because there is an obvious like line in the middle there where money is one thing to one person and it's another thing to another it makes people very depressed it also makes a lot of people very happy it's just this 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 middle ground but death is pretty that's just one thing but I want to go back to something you said earlier and this is the point I was trying to make and I think I think you'll agree with me you said there was a little bit of a disconnect with the verses but when eh, not really the werewolves coming you said you felt it you felt it concrete you felt the connection I, I felt it get I felt it get more intense that's what I'm getting at I think the verses were not designed to completely mesh with the music on purpose to allow the chorus to stand out as the point to the song um see now that's not exactly what I said I because I I can't possibly you know infer any kind of like great divide between the verses and choruses here but considering that really this track all flows together as one thing until the end we'll get to that but for the majority of it it really is just the same kind of the same rhythm sequence the same shakers it's just some instruments come and go and it is all fanciful as a whole but it does it take little surges in intensity but they're subtle surges it's not to the point where i feel any disconnect whatsoever um until later right well also it should be said that during the more fanciful areas there are sound bites as well like of course a werewolf howling there's ringing there's a doorbell at one point yep so it's like i i think these are all designed to kind of paint this bizarro kind of it's a bizarre world but it's cheeky like he has a sense of humor about it that's why i don't see it as you know it's well, hell, even he said, you know, the, the themes seem depressing, you know, death and taxes, death and taxes. But even he said at some point, you know, I'm not complaining, just the opposite, my friend. I know it's raining, but we're coming to the end of the rainbow. The lying and the spying are through. Oh, you don't know me? Okay, I don't know you too. It's, he, it's, it's too, he's too lighthearted about it all yeah. for me to get any sense of like, you know, I, I'm sure there is some statement behind it. Sure. But that doesn't really come through until the music. So what I was foreshadowing, of course, is the the point where this does start changing in tone is when the organ comes in. Towards the end, yeah. The, toward the end, this organ starts si- kind of supplanting everything. It's a mm-hmm. very strange progression. It's the this, drones at first, It's right? this imposing, like, end of days organ. Mm-hmm. And I maybe that's the werewolf, maybe that's death, maybe mm-hmm. that is the end of the rainbow, right? But it's like, he was so lighthearted and kind of just grooving along to it and then it really does consume the song with this undue darkness yeah it rises above everything else pretty much the instrumentation gets drowned out by it I don't see it rises because I don't really feel like there's that much of a of a 
volume change. I'd, I'd rather put mm. it as that it makes everything else kind of deteriorate around it. It just seems less it feels important. Like, right. Because you lose bit by bit as the organ gains its intensity. It's it's not just going above it because after a while you don't hear anything else underneath it. Right. And instruments do start dropping off. And that progression was really well done, was really chilling. It was really, well, it's also just how the song ends. You yeah. know, there's no return there. That wasn't end interlude. That was that was the end the end goal. The yeah. finality. Um, um, I mean, as a, as a whole, I enjoyed the track. I think that um, the unique mix of sounds, I think, was fun. The lack of mal- melody is noticeable, but... Because I was wrapped up in the story. Oh, there's melody. There's melody. It just feels a little more poetry slam. Well, right. Uh, what I mean mostly is that the focus seems to be the rhythm and the v- vocals, but I was okay with that. Because I, they're I pervading. Like right, exactly. Yeah, the, the major blending came from, like, the didgeridoo, the way it was sort of uh, a little bit vocal, a little bit rhythm, and I really like the didgeridoo. It's a sound that you kind of always recognize. Sure, it But you out. don't expect. Nobody just... expects the Spanish didgeridoo. <laughs> Well, actually, oh, that's God. that's a point that should come up later, because while we don't get a Spanish didgeridoo, we do get a lot of Spanish influences. True. But before that, we get the next track. I tried to save that, did you? <laughs> Wristband. <laughs> Wristband. I was, I was bringing it back. I was bringing uh, it back. So, from the moment this song starts, we get some delightful upright bass, which... Who doesn't love an upright bass? I don't know. I mean, really, who okay. doesn't? Delightful is a weird term. First of all, for you're it. a champ for even wanting to play the upright bass. You just picked an instrument that's going to be a pain in the neck that, to bring to oh every show. Oh my god, yeah. And you're a tall guy, and that's still going to be a, a difficult thing I, to wrap around. So, so minor tangent. Molly from the Wasties plays upright bass with Eli August in the abandoned building sometimes, and has played it a few times with the Wasties. But mostly, she doesn't schlep it from um, Philly anymore. But I, when I was in Philly last, she let me hold it and, and play with it a little bit. The thing is freaking heavy, and I'm not a weak guy. I, you know, I can ho- I've, I can lift my load, so to speak. But this thing is not easy to maneuver. And it's it even harder to play. You have to the strength. And she's half my height. The I know she, that's impressive. That yeah. Molly, who's a little sliff of a girl, can actually pick up something like that and lug it around. And, and and play it with ease. I mean, you can lift it. It, it, it can be lifted. It's not yeah. like it's not undoable. Of right. course, it's not. You know, sure, it doesn't sure. weigh like how, as much as a piano weighs. No, I'm a no, piano no. player, and I bring my piano everywhere. Just <laughs> saying to, to brag uh-huh. about my strength. But, uh-huh. but no, it's, it's actually awkward. To play it is is even yeah. It's awkward um, because strength. of the finger strength, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that to me I think uh, even exceeds the strength involved in actually carrying the instrument oh, around. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, that was uh, quite the tangent on just <laughs> explaining how difficult a an upright bass is. But it's a pretty neat. Uh, beginning here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more of the syncopation that I like in this upright bass. But um, I like how clean and crisp it was. Yeah. That was what was well, the it real set the tone of the that's song really for quick. It's, well, that's because everything else, whenever an upright plays, everything else just shuts up. Because they're yeah. really difficult to hear. The first time, fun fact, as far as my memory takes me, we really had a big discussion on the upright bass in episode 57 when we were doing Chick Corea's The Vigil. Mm-hmm. And well, there was that there was a giant upright bass solo there yeah. where we talked about all the ins and the outs of the instrument and also how soft most jazz upright bass solos are uh-huh. like they're just the, the instrument can't really project it's almost right. impossible rooms have to be deathly silent and so even on the albums you know you can't even really right. mix so, it when, over other things everything else has to be cut out or mixed down right or you have to have the right kind of close mic to mic yeah. it with but when the percussion comes in in wristband you can still get that upright bass mm-hmm. it doesn't get drowned out it's 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 less you know in the forefront, but it's really emergent when it gets to do its major statements, and this kept me going. I really enjoyed this aspect. Of I mean, it. to me, it wasn't more statements. To me, it was still like it's still figuration. It's more prominent yeah. in the beginning, but it becomes figuration later. I enjoyed it. 
Um, it was the other stuff that really didn't do so much for me in this track. The rest of the track was a little bit... Maybe I was a little over just the, the, the consistent use of rhythm at this point, because this is also a track which did not, you know, change my perception of it by the end. It was kind of just one thing from beginning to end. It didn't have this, like, big turnaround, you know, no. into a this was uh, kind of realm just, of darkness. It had a chance to, though. Did it? <laughs> the scat. The scat that comes in uh, as but the that, bridge. That was just the opposite, though. That no, was, that was kind meant of, to be That was neat. And, but yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that does prove it wasn't all just one thing. That was something that actually did kind of lift my spirits during it. It did get a lot more playful. Yeah. They start jamming. He starts scatting. It almost reminded me of the kind of scatting that Al Jarreau used to do back in the 70s. Um, maybe not quite as... as uh, is scatterbrained, yeah, <laughs> and you know a little less impressive. He was kids. If you just... don't know who Aldero is, look it up. Oh, look it up. Look up his his uh, version of Take Five. It is Ugh. the best version of Take Five I have ever seen. It was his. Uh, he played it live in uh, uh, Hamburg, Germany, back in like around 1977. Phenomenal. Um, and it, you know the fact that I even thought of Aldero, yeah, considering how much yeah, I love sure, Aldero, sure, sure. like is pretty positive. But I could tell it wasn't like he was just having fun during this part of the song. Well, and but... it's, it can. It's not just the fun he's having. The horns that come in and, you know, comp along with his scatting yeah. is also having some fun there as well. And it did do a lot to save the kind of monotony that the track was doing for mm. me. I want to say monotony. I would I want to say, yeah, all right, maybe textural monotony perhaps but it had to do more with the lyrics here like the lyrics were very lighthearted so i think that's why everything else was lighthearted now of course there's another way to view this but if you just viewed it face value wristband my man you gotta have a wristband if you don't have a wristband my man you don't get through the door <laughs> and uh as it continues you know for at least the first couple verses here it really just sounds like that's all it's about well yeah the, and the, it's easy to take that very shallowly the narrative of the song is essentially uh paul simon as paul simon went outside to check his email and the stage door slammed shut behind him and so he has to try and go in the front door and the door guy doesn't know he's paul simon and will let him back in without a wristband what I found yeah. to be very perplexing was trying to equate Paul Simon to pulling out a cell phone and <laughs> checking his email. Well, that that actually threw me for a little bit of a loop. <laughs> but I, there was there, you forgot the second half of the chorus, which does change throughout this song, and I really like the second chorus okay. version. And I said wristband. I don't need a wristband. My axe is on the bandstand. My band is on the floor. The way that flows yeah. is so awesome. And I'm a big fan of, I've said before on the show, I'm a big fan of progressive choruses, and I like the way he plays his words here. The song feels very cheeky, and I like that. It's not just the the, the, the progressive choruses, yeah. but that is definitely a plus. It's also the fact that my axe is on the bandstand, my band is on the floor. The way he chooses his words and yeah. hard versus soft consonants yeah, that was actually really, something really you good, really that, good. That was something that I really did like about this track, is of course he has a lot of fun with wordplay, even earlier on. Um, I can't explain it. I don't know why my heart beats like a fist. When I meet some dude with an attitude saying, hey, you can't do that or this, which of course is someone else's voice, right? And the man was large, a well-dressed six foot eight, and he's acting like St. Peter standing at the pearly... Intercourse, wristband, my yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. See, not treating his audience like an idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you know what the word is, yeah. right? And it was an implied rhyme, and I find that stuff kind of playful. And, sure, and fun. which is what the song was at its core designed to be. Right, which is Until, which is oh, wait, why wait. I have mixed feelings about this because, like, I enjoy it on that shallow level. I guess it's still good writing, it's still a good wordplay, but it's why, like, the rest of the interpretation, uh, you know, it just kept grooving along. Everything's still just kind of happy and flowing, and then. It, 
main, it, it was still even more happy and flowing by the time the scat comes. But it didn't really go anywhere beyond that. It does and stay, that was my problem. It does, I mean, percussively, it does stay kind of in the same place, yeah. But the content does evolve with the final verse. The riot started slowly with the homeless and the lowly. Then they spread into the heartland towns that never get a wristband. He's actually starting to make a little it's, bit of another political statement. St- well, it's still another um, kind of have, have like, not. It seems major. like a strained analogy to me. Um, well, town, no, it's, right, it's, kids, it's the idea of oh, exclusion. Can, continue it. Kids that can't afford the cool brand whose anger is a shorthand for you'll never get a wristband. And if you don't have a wristband, then you can't get through the door. It It just sounds like... I mean, I, you almost can just piece together very easily, like, what happened. Like, all right, this is a true story. Maybe he got locked out of the of his own show, and then he started making an analogy in his head. Yeah. Or maybe he had applied it later, right? And it, I don't know. It just feels a little strained to me. I'm sure, yes, mm. of course. Maybe all, a little strained. We're all looking for that wristband, man. Exactly. <laughs> At the same time, I kind of knew it was going to end up with something like this. Sure. I, I didn't see him just going into some a fantastical story about a wristband and no. making an authority. I guess leisure. I'm thankful I enough kind of, for it. I just still don't think it's, you know, the most clever thing in the world in the end. Well, like I said, I saw it coming, and I would have to agree with you on that front. I did see him making an illusion, especially since I kind of took Werewolf as a political story anyway. Uh, uh, the progression from one to the next, like, yeah, and he's a child of the 70s, like, that's when he was his heyday. Oh, yeah. He had his own views, and he was well-known for him. Like, this is something I I saw coming. But just because it wasn't the most clever thing ever doesn't mean it's not clever at all. No, 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 I no. still think I it's just, clever, and I enjoyed what he was doing. Let us establish something if we haven't established it yet. <laughs> we established it, by the way, at the end of last week's episode. That's true. He's got nothing to prove. <laughs> yeah. Certainly not to the likes of Crash Chords. We discussed sure. this back with Paul McCartney. Yeah. And We're just looking at the work and just trying to compare it to everything else. Not against his own work, because his own work he's, is stellar. He's clearly yeah. done amazing, you know, politically oriented songs before, and his analogies are usually pretty stellar. This one was just a little lax. That's it. Yeah. All right, well, let's head on to track three, The Clock, at a whopping minute and three seconds long. And it's an instrumental that really does live up to its name. It's got a ticking that should get on my nerves very quickly, but doesn't. It actually flows very well it's, with all the progression. Very metronomy. Light, very metronomy, but things come in, like a music box kind of a feel, and then a chime kind of feel. It's very. It's a very. Well, I like it. It's well. At first, there's there's a, a a guitar that almost feels like it's matching, which is a hard way to go, but it almost feels like it's matching the pitch of the tick. That could just be like, and because it could tick, just be the mixing of the sound. Well, ev- almost everything has a pitch. That's yeah. the thing. Like even if it doesn't appear like it does, most things do even have a, a pitch of some sort. Has a pitch. Oh, I know. you're going to get it for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now gonna I'm going to get, get edited out. You're going to get it. All of you. But then the chimes come in, and then the chimes over the guitar and the tick, that adds something kind of fresh. I yeah. really, really liked the, the, the tones here. Mm-hmm. But um, then at some point, the guitar changes its chord to match the sort of more ethereal but darker tone of the chimes. Mm-hmm. Um it really did feel like it was getting a little bit more negative. Just like an imperceptibly decline toward negative. I still relaxing, but 
negative. Like, I, I first, just on, on site, maybe because of some of the previous themes, I thought the clock was going to be like the inevitable passage of time as we move inexorably toward death. See, I didn't get that negativity at all. I don't know. It felt very wistful to me, especially when the xylophone came in. I felt like... Was there a xylophone? Yeah. The, 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 stri- the striking tones that came after the chimes was xylophone. And okay. it added a wistfulness to me. I don't know. I thought between the ticking and all of the different lighter tones, to me, it's like someone lying in bed awake... Maybe amongst their thoughts with a ticking clock, Maybe. which could be less wistful. That could be negative too, I guess. But you know, I, I, ultimately, I like kind of this neat little instrumental. It's an it's idea. Not, it doesn't really do a ton of revolutionary stuff, but I just thought it was kind of I neat. I think for the most part, it was just a, like I liked it on the level of a musical idea. Mm-hmm. I would try not to go too deeply into theme. I just thought that maybe there were some little hints here and there. Sure. Some of which I mentioned, and another one was a slight positive resonance at the tail end, as if to imply that kind of what he said earlier, like, I'm not complaining. Like, there is some acceptance there and also the skipped tick, which is almost like your heart skipped a beat. I was exactly the two of your ideas blended together because it felt like just the march of time with both its highs and its lows. Yeah, that little missing beat at the very end, the second to last beat of the entire piece, was that heart yeah, skip. Yeah, it skipped. It was, it was that little like hiccup like, oh, uh, that, that final health scare right before you know you really realize that you're freaking old. Or oh. the little <laughs> melodies that show up where... Maybe it's those moments of happiness, like a child coming into the world, or the chimes and and just kind of like the bell tolling idea. Like, it felt like both. It felt like just, you know, a, a one-minute, three-second story of a life. Well, see, I didn't even over- think of it that much. That missed beat for me at the end. All I thought about was, oh, wait, where is it? Oh, oh there it is. I like, think- I literally it was took it for what it was. Like, I was expecting it, especially since it was pretty predictable up to that point, but in a good way, and then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, where is it? Oh, there it is. Like I said, you could just take it as an interesting musical idea, in which case most of these things just wash over you as, hey, a thing. But it, you could also, you know, try and read into it. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know what it is. I don't even is. feel like I read into I it, think maybe like, I, The I, first time I heard it, it felt like I that. I think a lot of these instrumentals are really just in here to let the album breathe. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. And I, and I like it. On, at, at, on the whole, I like the clock for what it does for the record. I think it's a nice little piece that breaks up the flow of the record a bit. All right, so we move quite rapidly onto track four, Street Angel. Which... Which has like this cacophony, no, cacophony is too strong of a word, but it has a, an interesting mix of percussion, sound bites, and vocals from the very moment the song starts. Yeah, so of course you have the, uh, obviously the beat, most of these things, it's kind of an unchanging uh, beat structure. I did like the fact that the emphasis here in this track was kind of on the end of the two and then also on the four. I just kind of like that as a, some little something to like stand out, and I kind of like the, the rhythm of it. It's a simple rhythm but it's interesting. What I guess I liked a little more, or did I like it or did I not? I don't know. Maybe it's just another one of those things. The weird soundbite of this like inward, outward breathing yeah. that for a I... while was going like back and forth to the left and right ear, but actually there were two sound bites because one of them was going to, uh, to the left and right ear and then the, the rhythm of that was also pretty interesting. But then there was another soundbite in the background that includes this like the, the one in five chords with this like uh it sounds like almost a barbershop quartet like singing it in unison but that was recorded previously and then was put through a couple of filters and then utilized as a sound bite but then it always leaves us on the unstable five chord for tension and that was weird 
but interesting. <laughs> but he uses it again and again and again. It just comes back in the same exact form each and every time. Well, then let's talk about the street angel and put it in this context, because the street angel is a hobo, is a homeless person, is the person so of the seem. street. Yeah. My heart goes out to the street angels working their way back home. My heart goes out to the street angels. I saved my change for a street angel working his way back home. I said this exchange with the street angel. Nobody talks to me much, I said. Nobody talks to me much. Nobody. Like, uh-huh. he's, this is his interaction with what many people in society don't actually see. Like, people who are destitute kind of get glossed over and I skip it when you're walking around town when you're walking yeah. around So it sounds city. like he's he's someone with sympathy, right? And he tries to have a conversation where, you know, perhaps not a lot of people would would in his position. Yeah, and I mean even the next part right after that is probably my favorite part of the whole song. I saved it for you. Well, because I like I've always liked his wordplay, but it's just the way he delivers this. So he says I make my verse for the universe. I write my rhymes for the universities. And I give it away for the hoot of it. And I tell my tale for the toot of it. And I wear my suit for the suit of it. And the tree is bare, but the root of it goes deeper than logical reasoning. I just, I, I just love the that kind first of, of all here. that is now see I talk about I, I make fun of the earlier analogy but that mm-hmm. as a metaphor is pretty glorious yeah the tree is bare but the root, root of, it of it goes deeper than logical reasoning what a beautiful way to describe someone you know is homeless for whatever reason has befallen him you know it may it may look it may look pl- pretty bleak he may look pretty bleak but the root of it goes l- deeper than logical reasoning there yeah. are reasons behind why things happen that is a, a glorious sentiment. But talking about that delivery that Matt brought up, this is slam poetry. <laughs> and the whole broken up nature of this rhythm, the oddities that Steve pointed out that are really like, why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep doing Well, it's meant to be a nice little breakup for the delivery he's actually using right here. He's really not conforming to the beat itself. He just kind of nods and says, oh, no, there's a beat, so I'll finish my sentence within this measure. I'll and say- that's like it. That's it. That's mm-hmm. how he does it. I'll say that the song instrumentally, the way it kind of shifts around and is, you know, consistently inconsistent and being this weird mesh of stuff, I didn't love, but I really like his lyrics enough that I enjoy the song on its basis level. That verse, though, if that verse wasn't there, probably the song would have not hit me nearly as much. But that moment, that whole conversational moment, really kind of just was delightful for me. I do think, well, it was a delightful experiment. Yeah. I'm going to give it that. I think that a lot of those, even those sound bites, you know they're they're interesting they could be I wish they were maybe turned into something else yeah. but they still always left me intrigued every single time they appeared yeah. I feel like I was left wasn't more, boring more intrigued than just saying hey that was weird yeah it wasn't that it wasn't that shallow and we talk about wanting artists to do something different and he's doing something a little he different is doing here, something different so, here yeah. and as much as I've complained about slam and beat poetry like this was great well this yeah was and really if also great. i heard paul simon was doing beat poetry at freaking go yeah I, like I, who wouldn't i watched the hell out of that i guess maybe it's a weird awkward limbo for the weird awkward limbo that said homeless person is currently in Wait, the final verses working his way back home he's working his way back home they took him away in the ambulance made away with the ambulance he waved goodbye from the ambulance my heart goes out to the street angel it's just yeah. it's another it's, another it's a narrative. compassion piece it's a compassion piece and it's another narrative he always yeah. says characters in his head even if they're based on real people or not track five stranger to stranger the title track and this 
Well, this brought me back a little bit, because even though musically I haven't been terribly kind to this album so far, this track had quite a lot of soul to it. Um, just a light drum backdrop, probably the most prominent thing next to the vocals is this oscillating synth mm -hmm. that just wanes inward and outward. And over that what were the vocals, of course, his melody. I boy did I love this melody. But it's not it's not a traditionally synchronized melody because the because the the rhythm isn't really there to like frame the verses in such a way. Like it's kind of just like flows in and out and and ends on really weird suspensions, you know. But that keeps you kind of caught in the eddies of the melody itself, which I find interesting beyond the synth. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about this synth is it allows me to use my favorite descriptive word, which is warble. Because that's essentially <laughs> what it does. The waning in and out creates this kind of textural warble. I like using that word because you can, I feel like it's fi a physical <laughs> textural description. warble. You know. There's some redundancy in there, but a little I'll, I'll bit, grant but, it to you. But what I like is also the drums and rhythm here are pretty bare, like you were saying. And so it's stark. It's pretty stark for the beginning of this track because it's unlike anything we've heard to this point. But those, those rhythms section gets completed in uh, the guitar that shows up. Mm -hmm. it, it almost felt up. like the Times guitar two. it yeah. almost felt like the guitar replaced the oscillation. Yeah. Um, but almost perceptibly. Like I didn't I don't even know if the synth left. Maybe it was just the two on, they were one on top together, of the other. Yeah. Um, but that flute that comes in and I really yeah, want to hone it on the nice. flute. Oh yeah. That was a great instrument choice to complement mm -hmm. the chorus. Yeah, I, I feel like there is more balance in this track in terms of which instruments he chooses to bring in. Like, you know, some of the earlier tracks I feel like I could kind of dismiss as just like, you know, it's the same rhythm regardless of how many instruments are there. Like, you could almost replace them with anything else. This, I feel, was very concerted in mm -hmm. which instrument was introduced. Like, I feel like at that moment, oh, nothing could have been better than a flute. And oh, later, nothing could have been better than that saxophone. Right, but before we get to that, I want to yes. talk about one of my favorite evolutions in the percussion, which is when we get this kind of footstep percussion that I can't even really identify what it is, but it was this, it it, it impacted like feet hitting a floor, like dress shoes hitting it, a hardwood like, floor. It was, it was, um, it sounded to me like uh, wooden blocks. Right. Using yes, actually. And that, it just, it was, it was post-chorus, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. It shows up just a after couple the times, chorus, yeah. but it kind of fades out, mm -hmm. and it's, that that part also starts framing some of the coolest words on the entire album. Yeah. With, I know, one of Matt's favorites and easily my favorite. Words and melody, easy harmony, old time remedies, all in good time. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. Fair enough, but they were not my favorite lyrics on the album. My favorite lyrics on the album were certain melodies tear your heart apart. Reconstruction is a lonesome art. That was also one of my favorites. That... Oh, Paul, I mean, that's... well, first of all, Paul, you cheeky bastard. Mel certain melodies tear your heart apart. Meanwhile, he's singing a melody that is kind of tearing, tearing my heart, heart apart. apart. Yeah. Um. So obviously, the whole track has kind of a it has a little bit of a meta element to mm -hmm. it. On that, if for instance he has that confidence, you know, to to have that intention of like oh, I'm sure. going to write a melody that will tear their heart apart. And, and just one more thing about the writing here, about the melody itself. I felt like it was very superb, but also a little bit rambly. But I think in the end, it came around to me liking the ramble of it. Like mm -hmm. the way he embellishes certain syllables. And he usually doesn't revolve. Like I said, he ends usually on suspensions. Sometimes he ends like on sevens. He's usually ending... After like just kind of doing this little runaround, he'll circle around a certain syllable. He'll he'll end on these places that aren't 
quite always satisfying. They always have this passion, this uh, desire within them, something left unfinished. And I really, really love that, considering that he rarely gives us long moments to breathe on this track, you know, because the melody kind of just runs through its, 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 uh, its ramble fairly quickly. It's always beautiful, and it's always very, you know, delicate, but it is fairly quick. He doesn't dwell on the previous thought. He's always on to the next one, and then you're getting another moment like that, another suspension. The writing is just very, very beautiful. But I had a little bit... It's my major nitpick, but it's actually a very minor point. When he does have those unusual inflection points, specifically there's one where he says, falling in love again, and it's falling in love again. And there's a little bit of a weird inflection. Those parts did stick out a little bit negatively for me. Okay, that's interesting. Because, yeah, that is that is pretty much what I'm describing. Like, yeah. he, he, they're circular. And then sometimes sometimes the, the result of that is that certain words will have, you know, awkward inflection I guess for the Compared English, to the melody. For the English least, language. Yeah. And there is a reason. Like, we have yeah. it in an interview where Paul Simon has said that the music almost always precedes his lyrics. The melodies are born first, and then the words try to fit the emotion of the music and then slowly kind of piecing them together to form coherent thoughts, which I thought is really interesting. And in my opinion, that's the right way to do it, but it does leave that one door open for flaw. And I think John's bringing up a good point there because I kind of, after you listen to it, it is a little bit awkward. So it's, yeah, it's like 90% working for me with those few exceptions. See, and for me, I didn't even notice it till John pointed it out. I think I was so wrapped up in the fact that this, this storytelling was so different from the previous tracks where they were directed and very, very much... A to B to C to D. Narrative. Yeah, this was less so. This was more poetic. This flowed a lot more interestingly. And so when that awkward moment happens, I I kind of just went with it. I think for me that what I really love about this track, before we get to that sax that we've been talking <laughs> about, um, is that I think that the, the lyrics here give me something different of just another aspect of what I love about Paul Simon. And it, and I get kind of wrapped up, almost swirled up in both the melody and his vocal delivery. And actually, I want to say, this is probably my favorite part of Paul Simon. And the one I most recognize from his previous work. Yes, this it, very like, melodic at least this story far in the album, it seemed yeah. the closest. But it also introduced something new. And I guess that's why I was a little more accepting of the kind of roundabout melodic style. Because it felt like a new layer to the Paul Simon that I already know and love. And then, of course, we get the the next new layer, which was the saxophone solo. I just don't hear that a lot in no. in general, like a like a full blown saxophone solo in the middle of you know kind of a folk album. Even though this goes in many other different directions, but if you were just to define him easily, you could define you know Paul Simon as a folk artist. Now, to be fair, I would cite that my favorite Paul Simon song of all time, which I said at the beginning of the show, "You Can Call Me Al," features saxophone quite abundantly. So okay, but that's not a solo, as I recall. I mean, that was, I think, just the overall... I mean, really, there's a lot in common with with that track, with that track, as, as a lot of this album, too. Yeah. It's kind of like the general rhythmic structure mm-hmm. of it, which is in that case, I think, happened to use a saxophone, but here... Uh, d- no, well, it's definitely a different kind of sax. I'm just saying he's used sax Then let's, let's link them up, then. Yeah. This saxophone is used in a way that I would expect out of his folk work, mm-hmm. which I find interesting. Like, it captures the same soul, like, even just yeah. to pull a title from, you know, uh, one of his previous, or of his early, early works is Wednesday at 3 a.m. Sure. You know, I picture that 
out of this saxophone. Oh, sure. I picture Wednesday night, Wednesday morning at 3 a.m., excuse me. But, and I know there are two different areas of sounds. The flute, I think, actually allows it to be integrated to the rest of it because we are getting a breathier tone in the track already. So I could see it as like a linking force between the two, especially when the sax kind of goes into the rest of the track and the flute kind of takes it over what the sax was doing. That pair, that combination of the two the two uh, cadences was just so good. Well, just because, so good. Because I feel like the flute and the sax both are kind of giving this forlorn nature, or at least a hint at well, a Well, there's forlorn. a lot of forlornness right. to this. But I'm saying that the, the, the kind of culmination of it is with those tones. Those tones really cement it. Yeah, absolutely. I, like. I mean, even just separately, I would acknowledge that saxophone solo as just being a really well-written solo. Absolutely. You know, if indeed it was written verbatim. But um, that leads me open to, since you just brought it up, leads me open to talk about the last thing, even though it's kind of a convoluted way of bringing it up, <laughs> uh, the, the overall the lyrics here yeah. the, the like why would he write a, a song with this kind of melodic structure it was curious to me and I, what i find interesting is that the first verse almost implies that like it's old lovers meeting again mm -hmm. um stranger to stranger if we met for the first time this time could you imagine us falling in love again words and melody so the old story goes fall from summer trees when the wind blows also very beautiful you don't even really get the sense of that whole overarching you know stanza when he's singing because of those like kind of ups and downs the circular mm -hmm. nature of the melody but what i also found interesting is that it was like as if old lovers were meeting again and you know you're strangers at this point because you've changed so much mm -hmm. you've changed in that course of time and then it's wondering whether there could be love where it had fallen out before which yeah. i find to be really really interesting if it could all start over again that's why he says falling in love again could you imagine us so th that is really forlorn because it brings back the nostalgia of mm -hmm. like you know years and years past and it's lamenting too but i also considered it another way and it's really important to bring this up because remember this is the title of the album so it seems like this could be a central theme and the other idea is that maybe it was people who were never together, that maybe they are strangers or that they were strangers before and nothing ever was there between them. Mm -hmm. And now he's implying that because you've changed as people, is it possible that love can grow out of people that were just barely even friends, just strangers, and they didn't feel anything together. It was an interesting concept. It's funny, and I took it as possibly a married couple or a long-term couple, marriage not nece necessary, I guess, that had fallen out but we're still together, and it's like, if we met again, could we fall in love again? And well, if he it, does... No, 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 wait, wait, wait. wait. You oh. can take it a whole nother way. Just from... I'm going to talk about the first verse, so I'm going to get my two cents in. What if, like, when you were first in love and together, you were strangers because you weren't true to one another? You didn't quite know one another, so you were always strangers. And can you do that over That's what again? I said. Can, yeah. That was my second thing. No, yeah. no, no, but you said that they never were together. Like, I'm saying, like, they were together, but they, were they never they might truly as well have knew been strangers. strangers. They never yeah. truly knew you. one another. Yeah. Well, that's just the thing. You could take these multiple ways. And really, when you look at it, like, all everything we just said is almost like the same thing. It's just something that we're flipping, reversing, doing in right. retrograde. And it is obviously about reconstruction. That that second lyric that we we mentioned, the one that that we really really love, certain melodies tear your heart apart. Reconstruction is a lon lonesome art. Reconstruction, like the idea that there was a nostalgia there, mm -hmm. which well actually that would only fit I guess three quarters of our ideas because we we threw a lot out there. But reconstruction, putting it back together, is a lonesome art. Yeah. So that rules some of them out. I'm uh, I, I'm still sticking with uh, my first one, not my second one, and perhaps. Yours, Matt. All right. 
Mine could work too. What could it? Yeah, it definitely could. could We're it? just I'm not could gonna repeat it. it. Could it though? I don't think I could. could it? I don't even remember what it was. All right, <laughs> but, um, next track. Yeah, let's just go to track six, six. In, a in a parade. Um. Fun jam, yeah. So it feels musically like a parade. I don't know. This, this uh, it's doing the, it's doing something similar that we were getting in track one and two as far. Well, mostly track one as this, a ton of rhythm and the rhythm is being done in interesting ways with stuff stepping in and stuff stepping I, out. I can't even explain this without reading it. Okay. Some nights the ER is quiet as an EKG, but tonight it feels like every broken bone. Tonight it feels like every wounded soul is filling out a form or on the phone. I can't talk now. I'm in a parade. I can't talk now. I'm in a parade. Can't talk to you now. I'm in a parade. Can't talk now. I'm in a parade. Diagnosis: schizophrenic. Prognosis: guarded. Medication: Seroquel. Occupation: street angel. Referring back to the street angel from the song Street Angel. There you are. Um, <laughs> see, it's fir- at first this song sounds like uh, the very face, you know, face value of it is he's singing about being in a parade. But, the, the, but it's when obviously he's not. singing. I can't talk now. I'm in a parade. That's all you hear, and you right. kind of gloss over everything else because once again the rhythm. All right, it's neat, but beyond that, I can't even take it for more than like 10, 10 seconds. Then it's just, it, it keeps is a, going, it keeps is, going. doesn't never changes at It any is point. a lot more in your face in this song, and I will agree that the, the idea of the parade actually being the monotony and the insanity of a hospital is, is lost when you're kind of focused on the rhythm here. I actually took it a very different way in that the parade is all in his head and the yeah. outside world is trying to intrude upon it because he's a schizophrenic. He, the, one, the drug that they talk about, Seroquel, is for that, bipolar disorder mm, that and was other diagnosis. things of that sort of stuff. Oh, so, so like this is the perspective of the street this is, angel? This is the street angel all messed up and like people are like, hey, no, you got to do this. Hey, how are you doing? And it's like, no, got no, it. no, man. I'm in my own little world. You leave me the heck alone got it okay i mean i actually I like that yeah it's a nice story it's an interesting but... concept it's just yeah oh. the music doesn't like i see what he's trying to do it's this is goofy... one of those arguments i just it doesn't bring it out of me it's almost making it too goofy for i guess what it's not kind of a serious problem though I mean, though i will say from diagnosis onward that section of the track the way the vocals whisper it as opposed to say it and proclaim it as they were previously, it feels like it's the doctor actually reading the chart. Right. And I'm I'm getting a lot of art out of this. I'm just There's not getting imagery, a lot of for sure. Yeah, I'm just not getting a lot of the musical fun well, like really making its, it's impact. I mean as still t- the uh, the street angels perspective. I drank some orange soda, then I drank some grape. I wear a hoodie now to cover my mistake. My head's a lollipop. My head is a lollipop. My head's a lollipop and everyone wants to lick it. I wear a hoodie now so I won't get a ticket. I write my verse for the universe. That's who I am. Which is also a reference to that same song. Street Angel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, look, I like the reference material. I like that he continues narratives. He's always done that in his work, and I enjoy that. I will agree that the instrumentation leaves a little bit to be desired. It's a goofy little song that, beyond that for me, doesn't do that much, but I don't dislike it. I think that, um, you know, I wish I could have gotten a better sense of the story here since there, it, it, is, it is interesting the way he's delivering it, and you do lose it a little bit. Yeah. But it does do something for me that kind of just hit me, literally, right now. I was jumping for joy just about. Uh, it it kind of cements the theme that it, this is not just a reflecting kind of an album. This is the story of the Street Angel, this album as a whole. And his, like, observance of the world around him. One stranger to another. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, you know, that's... 
kind of obvious now that you think about it. <laughs> yeah, and I can't believe I missed it earlier because I love a lot of that's your job, John. You I had one job, John, <laughs> to come up with these weird theories and then explain them on air. But I, I appreciate it for that, and it's perpetuating the theme. I'm really seeing a merge out of this album. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I would agree with that. I just, you know, musically, I would have asked for something a little more. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. So we move on to track seven, Proof of Love. Now, I do believe that despite the theme that John brought up, it does leave it pretty open to, you know, crisscross little sub-themes of oh, nostalgia, sure. which we've already had. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe the parts that are actually about more concrete and, and like, stuff, stuff like this, Proof of Love, maybe that's before the schizophrenia or before oh, yeah. the meltdown or before the street angel these are a larger well, narratives that he that the street angel kind of wanders within but isn't the specific uh, focus perhaps yeah. i still think maybe a lot of it would come back to him in the end you yeah. know with things that make him think about things in his own life potentially right. such as you know with the title track stranger to stranger well <laughs> this equally had me pretty intrigued proof of love is one of the high points of this album for me i really love the opening setup here just the just a riff on maybe uh, two good gu- two guitars i believe mm-hmm. other than that it's just a, a tapping just an emphasis on the three also very circular also like stranger to stranger and the guitars are very circular too kind of get lost in it there's a fanciful nature to this while also mm-hmm. a little bit a little bit sad you know most of this is in a minor but it does liven up a little bit by moving to a major later on but first let's let's get a hold of these of these slightly darker lyrics begin again no easy trick without a guide or a walking stick begin before the bells of twilight peel Downhill town, the road ahead, spiral as a serpent's bed, a teaspoon of desire for my meal. I trade my tears to ask the Lord for proof of love, if only for the consolation of gazing at the stars above. So it turns to that theme of death and also of long lost love, potentially, or of other, you know, whatever you need to begin again in your own life. It's uh, harrowing. Well, I mean, there's there's an introspection to it also. I mean, like well, sta- looking and staring, staring at the stars. I mean, the the musically, I get this image of like twilight and of nighttime and the yeah, stars. Yeah, because he gave you that image. <laughs> well, right. Well, but, the, but the music did that first, is what I'm okay. saying, and then the lyrics come in to cement it and really paint that picture. Yeah, I got you. And there's two parts of this sound that does get interjected into the chorus and in the verses. In the verses, we get this weird echo, non-discernible voice bit that shows yeah. up and mm-hmm. is more sound nice. like stuff. Yeah, but it felt like it actually was trying to harmonize with him, but failing dramatically. And I loved how creepy it was. Yeah. And the other part that shows up during the chorus is that electric guitar moment that is just wonderful. I love when the electric guitar jumps in. Or no, it doesn't jump. It saunters in and just just finishes up the melody so beautifully. Well, the finger picking is what really stands out to me. It just kind of has this character in the instrument that we haven't really heard on the record that much. There had been guitar playing before, but here we're kind of really getting to the core of that folky feel. But then I it seemed, I get the impression that his prayers were answered to some extent because of the shift to A major. Mm-hmm. You know, that little mode mixture is not terribly common. Often when you move to major, it's, you know, by moving to another chord in the scale, by properly modulating. This, well, it modulated, but it modulated on the same exact key. A minor moves to A major, and there is a pronounced lift in spirits when that occurs mm-hmm. because you just transformed the exact environment you were already in into something more positive it occurs on the on the lines amen amen so it implies that it was answered but then we do go back down mm-hmm. to i guess 
explain it a little more. The road is steep, the air is thin, I hear a voice inside my skin. Don't be afraid, your days won't end with night. Feel the sun, drink the rain, let your body heal its pain. Bathe beneath a waterfall of light. And then the chorus again, which, by the way, is another example of your progressive choruses. And, of course, what mm -hmm. you mean, Matt, what Matt means when he says progressive well, right, choruses. It's not that the music necessarily, the music is very much reflective of what the last chorus was. But in this case, it's, it's a matter of... Progressive lyrics in the like, They begin the same, they end different. Uh -huh. I trade my tears to ask the Lord for proof of love. And now, if only for the explanation that tells me what my dreams are made of. See, clarifying everything a little bit more. I... Uh, very moving. Yeah, and I mean, also what I really like is when it takes that positive tone as the song continues, when we get towards the, the outro of the song, at least speaking instrumentally, there's even hand-boning at the end, which for those who don't know what hand-boning is, um, it's slapping on your, pretty much your upper thigh in a rhythmic fashion to create it, it's 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 percussive, obviously. And but, yes, I'm an expert at that. Well, no, it, actually, no. But I have a friend who is, or is learning to be. Uh, Noemberg, who can do anything, Mr. Painless Parker. Um, he's been practicing hand boning, and it's just it's it's an interesting way of doing physical um, drumming using your body that sounds very natural, obviously, compared to instruments or electronics, and it's it it adds a different kind of tone, and I think it hones in on that positivity because hand boning is usually very much associated with more positive songs or folky storytelling songs. I'm getting like a big kick out of you explaining the instrument like it has a big etymology or something like that. I mean, it does. It has, there's a history behind hand-boning. It's not a thing it's, I just made up. It's, it's something that a lot of people do, but uh, that fewer still turn into an art form. Right. Yeah. And there's a couple other things that do show up. First, uh, before we get to the bridge, which I do want to talk about briefly, the ending, I think, was the most impactful part when the line Silent Night comes in. The music gets killed and it almost mm, yeah. becomes the Christmas song level of just Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is quiet. Like, that's the feeling I'm getting in this, the music. This is what I saw as, as sort of the bridge. Uh, Silent Night, of course, it's an outro, but I felt it as a bridge. Silent Night, still as prayer, darkness fills with light, and love on earth is everywhere. And it does return back to the original riff at the end, and I thought that transition was especially gorgeous. I mean, the reveal of the whole Silent Night part. There's a lot of space in this track. There's a lot of room to breathe, and it's even hard to discuss this track in terms of sections. Of of course we do have the chorus, of course we have the verses, but it's another one of those really, really free-flowing songs owing to Paul Simon's vocals that you just don't find everywhere else because he, it, whenever he's singing, this more so than many, many other artists, many other vocalists, he just, you can get absolutely lost in just the quality of his vocals. Mm -hmm. Like, he, the song could be two minutes, the song could be a half an hour, and you're just going to be as immersed. But there was an actual bridge. In fact, two. One much briefer than the other. But first was the one that stepped in right after the lyrics you read that tells me what my dreams are made of. It goes into this kind of hummy, enjoyable, a little bit bright. You can't quite understand the lyrics. So yeah, I that's an instrumental as, that's pretty actually, much. Well, that's actually interesting because, all right, forget what I just said about calling, you know, the silent night still as prayer thing as being yeah. the bridge. That's the outro. That's easily the outro. It has a very different quality to yeah. it. But the, really, I guess the bridge, it was the A major amen part that we had earlier. It's just that we have three bridges in this, which is really uncommon for a song. We really have, like, the, ver the verse recur recurs several times, the chorus recurs several times, and so does the bridge. It's a three-section song. But the, it keeps 
which, getting which with the added section of what you just described, yeah. the instrumental, which refer which occurs after the second chorus, and which oh, it's just it's got the flourishes of the flutes and everything like that, and then there's the but third also bridge. very fanciful. That's the fanciful stuff I described yeah. earlier when it when the flutters and everything, the trills. But it's it's the third rendition of the bridge that is really my favorite because it goes from the lines at the end of the chorus as it evolves and when at times my words desert me music is the tongue i speak and what he does he gets the the cello to come in or upright bass i'm not i don't know i don't care i don't want to define it because what get what shows up is vocals just him humming along with with a, a violin that just sounds that's just magic. That is just pure magic being portrayed. You mean music. right following the third chorus? Yeah, right after that third chorus, that part that right. Mm-hmm, I can't. I don't even. And want I to rest pretend. my head beside a white oak tree. No yeah. deadly nightshade, belladonna, dare lay a leaf on me. And Ooh. and oh, the combination of both the violin vocals and that that phrase work. Yeah. That's just magic. That's hey. just pure beauty he did right there I also forget fanciful it. i mean you when you add the layer of the sitar too i mean it's oh, really yeah. just milking this so this was easily one of my favorites um uh, kind, like, yeah. kind of neck and neck i think i enjoyed it even a little bit more than stranger to stranger to i be would honest. agree with steve yeah track, i think this is the better of those two track eight in the garden of Edie. This an instrumental is a whopping minute and 49 um, this so, so longer, longer. So longer this is another instrumental track, but this one focuses mostly on the guitar, and this is, I think, an instrumental answer to something Steve was kind of looking for, mm. because you talked about the guy with the guitar kind of sound, and we get some of that here. Yeah, it does seem a throwback to his earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, no it, vocals, it, just him playing around on the guitar. It's got the Spanish Southern rock kind of influence that was, yeah. you know, yeah, all so over the place. Too. Like it's it's nebulously it's, in that area, yeah. Which is something he's done before. Oh, for sure. And it, you know, I, I don't have a lot to say about it beyond it was just kind of pretty, you know? I mean, it, it was nice to hear guitar work that that we hadn't heard a lot of previously on the record, but that said, it doesn't really do a ton beyond that. I, I'm not making any leaps like I did with The Clock. Like, this yeah. is... this is mm, It's pretty face value. Yeah. When you get only a minute, you know, it's hard to really take that in the, gr- in the grand sense. Oh, oh, okay. It's and a minute, we got a minute, minute earlier, and I did take it in the grand sense. I'm not feeling it here. That's yeah. the big distinction. I mean, I don't. I think this was meant to be him diddling on a guitar. Here's a little, a little piece for you. I don't know that there was much to be. Let more the album than that. breathe. Let the previous yeah. themes let stew in them. Yeah, and honestly, they don't stick around long enough for me to overthink it, and they're not so short that I feel I'm gypped. It's just long enough that I go, oh, cool, and then move on to the next thing. Okay, sorry uh, to be so dismissive. Paul. No, I mean it's <laughs> it's not even dismissive. I think it's serving its purpose. I think it's transitional yeah. material, and that's not always a bad thing. All right, let's go to track nine, The River Bank. Um, this was actually a track that I felt had more of a southern uh, yeah. rock feel. or southern, Bayou southern guitar. It kind of has I a, said Bayou guitar. It has a cruising feel a little bit because kind of, the way the song kind of moves. The steamboat kind of an engine as opposed well, to, sure. I think last week we had the uh, the uh, Chugga Chugga train uh, engine. Train, yeah. This one was a little more laid back and took its time, but it still had a kind of engine gallop to it. Yeah, yeah I felt like the rhythm was more of like this emphasis on the, the two end and the four end. It's more like two end, four end. 2N, 4N, right there. And, of course, you know, we had several analogies recently of comparing things to trains. Uh, One of them was just last week. Right. But, uh, I don't know. It didn't do a lot for me. 
Uh, so I for think... me, for me, this song was more about the lyrics because it's clearly an ode to to vets, you know, and the 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 service. Oh, of absolutely. Vets. And so, you know, I'm not impugning any of that no, stuff. No, no, I think no, that no. was that was gorgeous. But... No, no, no. Yeah. So I want to just I I'm just putting it sure. on that end. Like that's the perspective I came into the song with. Like the instrumentation didn't do a ton for me, but once I started hearing the lyrics and understanding the story and what he's talking about, it's very heartfelt. Right. It's very very kind and very you know. It's, Listen, it's, and it was actually it didn't have a conclusion which no. I really liked it was just a tragedy mm-hmm. but no explanation you're supposed to infer it you're just supposed to just feel the tragedy mm-hmm. and how you deal with it is going to be up to you but the music the music is just there to really let the it's story it's a framework it, it, it doesn't tell the story it yeah. lets the story be told which I think does a little bit of a disservice in this case because when it tells the story, it's matching up, it's meshing, it's it's flowing along with it. But having it as more of a very pace-oriented, where the only yeah. thing that happens is, mm. you know, the layers kind of just flow in and out. You get a little bit of clap, a little bit of shaker. The 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 chorus adds a little bit it of almost, a gallop. It, that's why it doesn't fiddle. feel like yeah. the, the music really fits this. Which yeah. feel it's a it's another heartfelt ode, but at the same time, it also is you know, it's a lot of stories. It's a lot of either a series of individual people or maybe it's the same person mm-hmm. uh army dude only son nowhere to run no one to turn to he turns to the gun it's a cross it's a stone it's a fragment of bone it's a long walk home a long walk home gonna be a long walk home from the riverbank um then later on talks about the mother army dude's mama at the edge of a river limp as a rag american flag in her arm is then a triangle of light kissed the red and blue and white along the riverbank past the dealerships and farms uh, it's this. It's this idea. Uh, essentially, loosely, it's the, the, the soldier never made it home. Never made walked, it home. Walked, 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 was walking along that riverbank. Never made it home. Actually, this is another riverbank where the mother is mourning his her loss. Well, no, wouldn't this is this way no, no, of no, no. saying that people forget? You know, the fallen. The no, music? no, it's it's not that he never made it home. The story is he made it home, mm. but he never came back from the war, like mentally. Oh. So right. that's why yeah. he turns to his gun. That's the mentality got it, got it, got it. Okay. that's going on, which is I mean, a tragedy yeah, and yeah. something that, frankly, pretty f-ing common in this country and is sure. something that needs to be fixed soon. So it's nice to bring voice to that sure. issue that is but I, a severe issue. But I will it's the agree. fact that we really don't deal with PTSD in our country for our soldiers well enough, not even close to well enough. Sure. And I mean, I would agree yeah. with Steve that the music doesn't really support the actual raw emotion the lyrics give. That's why this I song. said it kind of cheekily. I wonder if that was actually the intent behind the music. Sure. That maybe it was like it's a making way, light of it. The making way light of it the way does. we make light yeah. of it. It's a little bit of a long way to go. But um, and also, I thought that maybe the, there were two verses. I, I said there were multiple characters, and I think that maybe you were both right, and that one of them was you know that he didn't come home and one of them is that he came another soldier one was lost and one came home and is mentally Still lost. lost yeah yeah no and because th- otherwise i don't see why it would mention the mother really right. like at the edge of the uh, river limp as a rag okay. it really sounds like no, in the no, last no, no. verse the, that is the reason explicitly death. reason specifically is that last verse army dude's mama at the edge of the river limp as a rag american flag in her arms then a triangle of light kiss but kiss the, co- the right red white and blue but it's that combination of the word american flag so closely linked to a triangle and in any funeral service for a soldier that's how they present the flag that's how they present the flag to mo- mother children loved ones that is the representation of the soldier's commitment to the right. country okay i see what you're saying now because if they 
They present it obviously to those who fall in war, but also those who fall in any capacity. Which if you we die did, and you we did served. very much overlook that earlier line. You know, army dude, only son, nowhere to run, nowhere, to, no one to turn to. He turns to the gun. Yeah, it implies quite explicitly suicide yeah. as a result of PTSD. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. All right, then it's not two characters. Then it would be that one it's character. The one character that, and his suffering. That's then, what it led to. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I mean, that is really a, a shame considering the music didn't bring this out. Yeah, I mean, you but, don't feel this in any way. I, but I, yeah, I guess I think it's designed where you're supposed to focus on the words to get the story. Yeah. I think maybe also it's he doesn't want to. It's something with something like this. You have to handle it in a. In a certain way, you don't want to be too cheeky, and you also you don't want to be too overbearing or preachy. You kind of just want to leave it as is. So I think the music, being kind of as a non-entity almost, is to let the word speak for itself because he doesn't want to mince words here. I understand that. I just would have liked a very strong melody. A sure. strong melody backing up the vocals and the story would have like would have been the impactful. Like cement, I needed for a track like this. I totally get that. I think I'm just saying where I think he might be coming from. That said, it still as a song does leave me wanting, but I do appreciate what he's bringing to light and saying here. You know, I think it's important, and these lyrics are important. Well, the transition is rather uh, awkward as well because track ten, cool Papa Bell. The the thrusting of tuba action here in at the, the intro, start yeah. it's the only is almost it. comical. That is, and uh, considering it. everything we just talked about, I mean that is so strange. I mean, is it to want to go to something completely lighthearted after something so heavy? What did you just say, Matt, about not trying not to be too cheeky no, and not true. be too? Uh, <laughs> that's true. No, you're right. I I don't know. I think that it is an oddball what we're kind of thrown into. I mean, of the song itself, I like the wordplay here. I always like his wordplay. Well, let's be frank. I do believe a lot of these choices are intentional. Sure. Even the first verse you have here is reflecting a lot of our experiences with this. So yeah. it's that uh, meta reaction to it. It turns out to be a great thing for me. I don't worry and I don't think because it's not my job to worry or to think. Not me. I'm more like every day I'm here, I'm grateful. And that's the gist of it. Now, you may call that a bogus, bullshit, New Age point of view, but check out my tattoo, says wall-to-wall fun. Does everyone know everyone? Mr. Wall-to-wall fun, meet Dr. Well-well-well and Cool Papa Bell, the fastest man on Earth did dwell as Cool Papa Bell. Uh, All right, this is weird. Again, when you take this next to that really, really... um, hard to ignore tuba and everything it does seem like he's sort of commenting on the fact that we don't know how to react to a lot of the more mm-hmm. serious stuff you know it's like, almost we like... do try to be positive about it we do try to have a, a lighthearted air about these things and also that you know i guess ignoring problems you know but it's not my job to worry or to think i'm i'm kind of in the middle of all this uh, honestly sometimes i do think it's 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 right just to keep silent i i do genuinely believe that oh absolutely i got both the musical style the the sound wasn't quite there and the overall feel of the track felt like obladi oh, oblada oh, life goes on yeah La 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 la, life goes on yeah and, and a, it felt as he means it's free sar- and lighthearted but i will say for a beatles track Obladi is not even near my favorites. It is yeah. it is one of the well, lower tracks. But do tracks you like it? 
Not particularly. No. I no, mean, right. I will listen to I it. Do. I won't ignore it, but I'm, it's, it's, it's Things a track don't... that I might skip. Well, he's being often. sardonic, it feels like. Otherwise, I don't think there would be such a stark transition. No, yeah, it know? has to be. And I think that, you know, I, you know, I agree with Steve. I think following up a song like The Riverbank, there was no, there's no right answer to following up that song. What the hell would you follow that up with? Gospel. So, no, it's, it's if you want to get tropey, gospel. I guess so. But my, the point I'm trying to make is there is no right answer. So this is Paul Simon's answer, and I feel like it's as good as any other. It's not the song itself may not be great, but you know I, I, he needed something between this and the last track, Insomniac's Lullaby. So I feel like this is as good as any. Let's get a little further into this. Have you all heard the news? Heaven finally found. Oh, it's six trillion light years away. But we're all gonna get there someday. Yes, we're all gonna get there one day. We're all gonna get. We're all gonna get. But but not you. You stay and explain the suffering and the pain you caused, the thrill you feel when evil dreams come true. And check out my tattoo. It says wall-to-wall fun. Does everyone know everyone? Mr. Wall-to-wall fun. Back to that thing again. Yeah. You know, the one person who's not going to be allowed because I guess they sat idly by. You yeah. Know? Which is why, like I said, I may sit in the middle of this something. At times I think it's good to be silent. A lot of times it's good to speak out. Of course. Um, and I believe that's what he is it's really getting when. at. Yeah. I, I think message-wise, I'm on board with this song. I think tone-wise, it's a little kind of... It could go either way. I don't dislike the song. Um, unlike John, I like Oblada. It's not my favorite Beatles song, but it doesn't have to be my favorite to like it. So I'm I'm kind of really okay with this. I'm just not enjoying the music. Not... It's not an at all kind of situation, right. but it's nearly. I'm not enjoying it at all. It's right. nearly. I'll, I'll say there. this: I enjoyed the tuba from a sonic perspective, like just sure. because. It was cool. Oh, it was a cool thing, right? Sure. And but that's like, the, yeah. the, the 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 way it fit <laughs> was almost just a little bit too like it was too stark. Yeah. Just a bit too stark. Still, he's doing something different. There though. you go. See, track yeah. eleven, Insomniac's Lullaby. This is the final track on the album. Mm-hmm. Um. And oh boy, this this really takes me back to old school Paul Simon. Yeah, it we, actually reminded me a little bit of a Jeff Buckley song, uh, Corpus Christi Carol of Grace. That was, I mean, just not in terms of obviously he doesn't have Jeff Buckley's falsetto, but in terms of the tone of this, the very relaxed, very thin structure here. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it's the kind of lullaby in many ways that I want to hear because there's there's a more standardized version of a lullaby that's out there and we've had that several times in this series you know certain last tracks are lullabies which is just a little on the nose you know and they it, they get a little tiresome especially if it's not interesting you know remake the lullaby because uh we've all heard it before so at least do it right it'll it'll take more to do it on an adult right well and like so we've get some more sound bites here there's sirens and it kind of gives this image of lying awake at night. And it's called Insomniac's Lullaby. And what I like about this is it, it really is literally a lullaby to the insomniac. Of, you know, trying to go to sleep. You don't want to stay up all night. You don't want to be kept awake by your thoughts. And I like that. I think that it's an, an interesting take on something that's fairly standard. Which and follows through with, the, you know, like the themes of all the problems in the world, you know. And theoretically, mm-hmm. even the problems of the Things stranger he ran across. The, yeah. stra- the street angel, you know. Is there anything you can do? all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, Lord, don't keep me up all night side by side with the moon with its desolate eyes miles from the sunrise, the darkness inviting a tune, the insomniac's lullaby. A siren is playing its song in the distance. The melody rattles the old window frame. Gradually, angels reveal their existence, and there's nothing and no one to blame. And that's okay. a direct reference also to the street angel, okay. the, the, that they appear and that there's, you know, they it just happens and there's technically... Things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things but, happen. But here's the thing. 
I don't know if I like this track, but it probably is the best on the album because of its haphazard nature, because of things like the weird hollows that come in. Like, this is the most interesting track. I just feel really at odds with it, and I enjoy it for that. Mm. Well, what I really like also is that it's it's a song for people with racing brains. As someone who suffers, suffers from late-night racing brain, yeah. is what I like to call, whereas I lay in bed and I literally can't sleep because I'm thinking about work the next day. I'm thinking about what I did today. Yeah, I'm thinking oh, about all my interactions I've had. Oh, it's, it's it's certainly the cause of all of my, you know, uh, not able to make the next hump, you know, to get yeah. to the next thing is sure. certainly a result of, like, all overthinking and, and, you know, it can prevent sleep. Uh, usually it doesn't. Usually it ruins my days. <laughs> I do want to talk about that one moment that we, we alluded to earlier about the one time we do get to hear uh, Paul's pipes in this track when he extends the word sleep and ventures towards that falsetto, though not in quite the same way he's done in the past. It preludes this instrumental interlude that just allows you to kind of sit in the song. And what I like about the instrumental here is that there's not a lot to it. You know, there's a little bit of this and that, like he'd been doing in previous tracks, but it's mostly still focused on that guitar work. And I just, I kind of like where it sits and it forces you to sit kind of emotionally too. It, it's peaceful at its core, you know, and that's what a lullaby should be. And, you know, I don't know if it's, I guess, ironic because it's about, it's an insomniac's lullaby, but, I, you know, I just, I like where this song kind of brings me. Well, of course, even just to describe a little more about the instruments, it, it does, there is a little bit of a pickup in the chorus. Around mm -hmm. like 1 minute 35 seconds, like the chorus starts to get a little bit more intense, but it doesn't last to the whole chorus. It right. deteriorates into pieces. It sort of slows. And then, of course, we do get this like hazy mist, that, that region around like the 2 minute mark, 2 minute 10, this hazy mist filled with wind and these little delicate tones in the background all amidst sleep, sleep. You know, and it's very and, wibbly wobbly right there. It's yeah. very, it, it's, it doesn't know the what harsh it's words, doing. you know, yeah. reaching the upper echelon of your dictionary. And this, um, <laughs> well, I think that the ultimately, as far as closers go for a record, like Steve said earlier, lullabies tend to be pretty cliche. The fact that Paul Simon, of course, if anybody could do it, him doing something a little different, There's I appreciate. There's a few others that could do it as well as Paul Simon. <laughs> Not the point. <laughs> the point is is that it's nice to have it be a little different. I like the lyrical content. Of course I like his singing, which has kind of been a duh like last week. You know, his singing is, is great and, and intriguing and engaging. And, you know, it even has, like, the way he sings certain verses feels sort of like a nursery rhyme, too, which I really like. Especially the choruses. The choruses is where I get that feel more than mm -hmm. anything else. So it does imply lullaby, but it doesn't quite make it there. This yeah. is more of... If, if this was a lullaby, this is the one dad's making up on the spot for his daughter. No, it's it's got that kind of quality to it where the point isn't really to get from A to B in, you know, a nice story. It's not a story, story. yeah. It's, it's mostly to let the ramble, you know, bring you to sleep. And mm -hmm. that's where I really enjoy the track. Mm -hmm. Or enjoyment's not the right word because... The, the fact that the rhythm is just nice and nebulous and everything like that makes it hard for me to really enjoy. I really don't think it's a track I'm going to want to go back to too often, but I love how complicated it is in its haphazard nature. Uh, yeah, I... I think there was something, just something. I didn't have nearly as much trouble accepting the song as you, but I, I did 
I, th I liked that it extended my experimental interests a little bit more, perhaps because everything else in this album was so rhythmic, you know, you gotta follow that pulse, you know, even if he creates other interesting uh, phrases with it, it's still an overarching pulse. There was a lot of this album that was like that, and here everything was so loose, so casual, um, but also so concerted, it kind of opened my doors a little bit, you know, into other possibilities. So there was a little bit of leeway that I had to grant it in order to fully accept it, but once I was there, I was so there. Which made it a very, very, very interesting track for me. And uh, a, a, a perfect end to this album, I think. Um, an album with, you know, some some hits, some misses, but this was sat on the side of the album that I really, really, really liked. And talking about those hits and misses, because I'm going to start the uh, final word, it's a lot like last week's album, Stranger Things Have Happened, by Claire McGuire. We got a lot of really love, love that track. It's, it's amazing. A lot of, I can't believe it was just that bare bones or that simple or just not that good. Here we, I don't think I was as hating on Paul Simon, but I don't think I was loving on Paul Simon the same way, but it still feels like that dichotomy grew in this album for me. There are a lot of tracks here that are, are really compared to last week, and I want to use this comparison for a very specific reason, compared to last week, were as bare bones and just not good tracks, I think because of their heavy reliance on just being pure rhythm with with only the barest nods to, to melody and things like that, that I felt like it, not a whole lot was really thrown into it. And then there's tracks like Stranger to Stranger, Proof of Love, and... As much as I'm on the fence with it, Insomniac's Lullaby, that really are just wicked, wicked mean tracks that you gotta experience. I'm, I'm stuck in this nebulous place. But there is two things going for Paul Simon that Claire McGuire just didn't have last week for me. She had the vocals, and I think, honestly, she edges out vocals because her range was just fantastic. But she didn't quite have the same lyrical content that Paul has. He, he's just awesome storytelling. He's awesome poetry, beat poetry, narrative poetry, really just expressive love poetry, and a variety there that is just gripping. Even in the worst of the tracks on this album, it's still gripping. And the other thing he has going for him is... Yeah, those those not very favorable tracks are complicated rhythm sections that have a life of their own. While last week we just had a piano that didn't do much more than be a piano. Like there was there was no flair, there was no variety, there was no additional texture. So let pianos be, John. Uh, the pianos can be, <laughs> but pianos can also work well in tandem with other stuff like strings. We brought up strings a lot last week for various reasons. But here, here the, work together, pianos. Work together. <laughs> here, the rhythm sections, even in the tracks I don't like, are complicated, textured, and they have meat by themselves. It's just not very thick and juicy and a great steak. It's 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 a it's a okay burger. So I'm putting him on the other side of the fours. He's a four point one. Just above the four section, just into like the really good, great territory. I don't feel like there's anything new here. I think it's a solid message, solid theme, but I the, the music just, it's a lot of good and a lot of okay Paul Simon music. 
All right, I'm close to John with some caveats. I believe that this album, yes, very much like last week, is kind of split, not down the middle, but there are a fewer track number of tracks on this album that I love than I don't. There are definitely tracks in this album that leave a lot to be desired. But then the other tracks are brilliant. So really, this ended up being very similar to last week on uh, on that on those grounds at least. And yes, I do believe some of the same exceptions apply. For instance, yes, it is true the poetry here is phenomenal. The poetry last week in the tracks I didn't like were not phenomenal. So that's something you know you can add to this that it has going for it. The rhythm sections, however, like John said, well, the rhythm itself is not really all that interesting interesting to me. I think it's really more of just like what he was using rather than the actual rhythms themselves. Uh, You know, bring in a variety of things, I guess, to kind of fluff it up. I I really don't know sometimes what he's going for. It's just a little bit more worldly, I guess. I guess that's the, uh, that's what he's going for by adding all these different things. I still think in, in general, I'm moved by the stuff that is a lot more pared down. Then again, there were some flip sides to this like for instance it's not a it's not a straight up uh, like whenever he's closer to old school folk paul simon that i'm more on board has nothing to do with that in this case he, he only barely ever approached that and i so i thought that the tracks that were were brilliant here were brilliant for completely different reasons it was just you know when he gets a little bit darker it's again the more interesting stories but then again all the stories are more interesting it's the more interesting music that reflects said story and then i guess what he was trying to do is some kind of interconnectivity here where the tracks that were just kind of free-flowing were perhaps owing to the theme reflecting a more free-flowing society that's trying that maybe is ignoring problems I'm not sure, but it's uh, it's all in the wake of the same things hanging over our heads. Eventually, we're all going to die. Eventually, we'll all fall asleep, as he says, uh, which I took that way. Um, I really have a hard time with this because I guess on equal grounds, I don't think I really enjoyed the tracks that were not as brilliant to my ears in the same capacity. As last week. I think they were really kind of on equal grounds, and I gave last week's album a 3.9, and I might even enjoy the tracks that I like here in the same capacities last week. So, the caveats are really only on individual checklists, but I guess we kind of land up in a very similar place here. We still land with a ratio that is really not great to me. I'm still gonna have to kind of pick this apart, otherwise, read his poetry. And everyone should read his poetry. They're on his website. Not every artist does that. I think this is a 3.9. All right. So I'm not going to wax eloquence on the instrumentation or the lyrics or the history because John and Steve already did that. Um, It's no surprise. As I said earlier, I am a fan of Paul Simon. I'm a fan of his solo work. I'm a fan of Simon and Garfunkel as well, of course. Duh. It's not just you, it's all of us. Right. Um, But what I'm saying is, I'm not in the same place Steve is. Whereas last week, and I did rate that album higher because I've actually been listening to it since last week. Kind of constantly. So, I I enjoy that record. Front to back, though? Yeah, front to back. Complete. Um, Because I enjoy it, and I like it. Um, It's why I rated it what I rated it. And I'm kind of in the same boat for different... For the same reasons for this album that you guys are with your reasons for the album to a point. Um, Consistency, I hate it. I know. (laughs) We're we're just consistent and amazing. It's the worst. 
Um, but no, seriously, um, I I really don't. The pitfalls that that John and Steve have made pretty clear about the tracks that they don't like as so much here. I just I don't see them that way. I I agree that technically they are not not as um, they are just not phenomenally written songs. The poetry is phenomenally written. The the rhythms and the lack of melodies in places is a little disappointing. But I still get enjoyment out of it. Um, the phenomenal songs are absolutely phenomenal stranger to stranger um you know proof of love insomniac's lullaby all of these songs even the riverbank because i really love the lyrics there beyond the music like and i liked the werewolf a lot like i know that you guys were a little hard on it but i actually really liked it i will actually say the werewolf is one of the higher tracks yeah it, and it grows on you i think steve put it really well as werewolf is one of those songs the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it which I think is Paul Simon kind of in a nutshell. The more you listen to him, the more you get out of him. Because he is layered in his music, his, his writing, you know, all of that stuff. It's not, some of it's very face value, but a lot of it is you need to extrapolate. And, uh, you know, I've been able to sit with this album enough that I've extrapolated quite a bit. And I think that it falls a little bit above what I rated last week. I think that it's Paul Simon. I really dig it. I really wish there was more kind of more intricate stuff here but I like the stuff that I got just the same so I'm going to put it at a 4.2 just above last week's record just above me and just above you nobody wants fours anymore nope no place for Whenever we're uncomfortable about something and something's just sticking with us the wrong way, we either like go a little up or a little down. Down, yeah. But no, I mean seriously, I did, I did like, I did and do like Claire McGuire a lot, but I did like this better. I think overall, I enjoyed it better. Overall, I think it's a better album. A owing to it being Paul Simon, and B because I do truly think that the the lyrics are better, and the in, the instrumentation, even if the rhythm gets repetitive, was done in interesting enough ways that I think it offered more than last week's album did. Tracks five, seven, and eleven here are absolutely amazing. I just uh, maybe the only little thing that I'm going to take issue with you with your analysis of this on is just the fact that I think last week's artist was slightly more consistent with her genre choice. Than this. See, but because of and his... and also more integration, perhaps between the lyrics and the um and the music. Like I feel here, the lyrics they're so poetry based that sometimes in the tracks that are not tracks five, seven, and eleven, then they're a little bit uh, separate. They just feel like lyrics kind of floating on top of a beautiful beautiful backdrop. See, but I would argue... Or, that, or a, a whatever backdrop. But I would argue, based on the quote that you read earlier, that that's kind of par for the course with his stuff, and so to critique it on that... But it means it's not the the slow reveal that you just described. It's not, the, it's not that I'm slowly unpacking and seeing more things. It's that... I've already kind of unpacked it, and I didn't take it well together. And I feel I, when I see unpacking, it's when it's a cohesive product that I'm finding more out of. But well, I these think, are like I received separate packages in the mail, and I have to piece it together. I see, and I think I would argue because of the worldliness that you described earlier that kind of overlaps, that's enough to pull it together. I'd say the actual that, rhythm, yeah, yeah keeps, it, that keeps it unified. It links it enough for me uh, that yeah, I'm one, not... That's one element. All so right. that's well, where right, I'm that just, that from. Just, solidifies my same rating <laughs> whatever okay um i want to talk a little bit today before we we wrap up for the night um or the day depending on when you're listening to it because it could be any time of day on the internet we do this at night 
you're telling them our secrets. <laughs> that, I, I noticed we're exhausted sometimes. <laughs> I, I noticed something recently that I wanted to bring up on how, you know, we talk a lot about music, but we also talk about technology and sound in general, and that I'm noticing cell phones have taken an interesting turn lately, though they are still probably, besides iPods, the music player of choice. Um, maybe more than iPods. Maybe. Maybe. I've noticed that sounds, period, are not as common. People don't have ringtones blaring as much. Um, mobile games usually are muted, sounds turned off. Um, aside from setting alarms, because nobody uses alarm clocks, everyone uses phones as alarm clocks, so that generates sound. I feel old now because I use an alarm clock. Wow, you are old because you use an alarm clock. I double up, actually. Uh, I can't trust one. Well, right, because you're useless when it's trying to wake you up. This is true. Mm. Um, I've noticed that sound is becoming almost obsolete, I feel like, a little when it comes to phones. Well, I want to... Uh, oh, so many comments. Uh, the first major point, and here's where I'm going to get my tinfoil hat. Um, <laughs> music is all about choice. And when you have apps and libraries like the Spotify and the Slacker and all the things that you can get music from, and you have the ability to choose... Well, why would you listen to some silly noise, 8-bit style or whatever that is on the mobile strike game that you're playing at, the, at any given point? Why would you even want to listen to that? And then why would you put in the earbuds? They're kind of uncomfortable, and if you're not going to enjoy the music anyway, why would you, why would you put in those earbuds? And let's, let's be honest, like you don't, you don't bother to get that many phone calls. Most of your communication is through text, so why would you ever need to change your phone and, and change your ringtone to something other than just a standard like V Airways, whatever they call the darn thing? And since you're mostly getting text, I mean, you might as well just go straight up, and here's where my hat starts to come off. Why don't, you, why don't you just make it vibrate? Just make it vibrate. I mean, it's it's a text John's message. John's gone full-blown conspiracy theory. Well, no, this isn't really a conspiracy, is that a conspiracy theory? theory. This well, is it's some mostly like fact. Some actually. of it is just John rambles, and yeah. others are... Uh, some of it are, is just common sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, all right, here's some of my comments here. I do think it is a little bit silly. All right, maybe this is a silly conversation, just... You know, on the face of it. We're talking about cell phone audio here, which very clearly has gone in uh, uh, the direction really more towards sound, which is why yeah. that was my first thought when, when you said that, is really, like, people are kind of done with MP3 players at this point. Your phone is a hard drive. Well, it's not a hard drive, but it is a solid state, mm -hmm. and it has space, so much more space than it ever could at prior to this year, right? Each and every year, it gets more and more space. Granted, of course, we use it for multiple things. We use it for apps, so some of it is with, you know, you might want to use it for apps instead of audio, but even I ex expect that more likely in the future, you'll have plenty of room for both, just like you do now. Uh, maybe, in fact, for your entire library. Maybe already. And uh, matter of fact, just as a comment, you don't now because I have a 160 gig iPod that I can fit my whole 7,000 song catalog library on. I cannot fit that on my you phone. You probably but, need more. But, Actually, we probably need a lot more for mine. You can but, get a, um, and a lot more for people I know. <laughs> now that they heard the masses, uh, Samsung uh, Galaxy 7 allows you to put you know those 250 gig micro SD cards back into the phone. Which why would you ever take it out? Yeah. Well, so I'll there you first, go. I got more room than. 
you. Well, with there's my next there's upgrade. the other thing. I'll be the first to admit now. My library is, is nowhere near as important to me as it used to be. It used right. to be kind of crazy, almost borderline selfish when it came to my library. It was like, <laughs> oh, my music library is everything. Meanwhile, yeah. a, 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 this is a me. good portion of it was like you know consisted of <clears throat> stolen material. But that <laughs> like it doesn't really matter anymore. And I think it's yeah. for that reason. When you get more adult, also you really want to buy things you yeah, like. Yeah. You really sure, really absolutely. do. And so that became more important to me just for the just for the sake of just giving artists the money, yeah. right? And then secondly, if you are feeling that you need to do the research, it's not a matter of acquiring it necessarily because research can be done by simply streaming. Um, how does this get back to phones? Well, it means that a lot of people would just choose to then get the Spotify app on their phone. Right. And then in which case, you're still using it. You know, you still have your music on the go, but you don't even have you don't have your music on the go. You have the database, the world yeah, database yeah, yeah, yeah. on the go. You have music with the capital so, A, the music. That's why I kind of disagree a little bit with your premise that like cell phone audio is less important. Cell phone is still everyone's like extra limb. Right, I, I would it has it's more people's extra limb than at any point prior, and audio just goes along with that. It's just that it's not this novel thing anymore. It is just an extension of what your computer would otherwise do, what your home stereo would otherwise do, but abroad in places where you don't have access to these clunky things. I think I would argue then, or to refine my point, that the audio on the phone, besides listening to music, so all the other beeps and boops it's used for, have become less important. I mean, do you remember how important it was to have a ringtone for every different friend so you knew who was calling, right. when they were now calling? That's, that's where it's fun, because, <laughs> alright, yeah, I do remember that, and I remember... I remember it didn't last long. Number one, because I was I was always really behind on cell phones in right. getting the new cell phone that was out. So that means that I still had the old cell phones that, you know, were just made of the internal Nokia. audio card. The Nokia. The Nokia. I had that for so many years, yeah. right? I, could, I didn't even have the option on that phone to, like, change it up from person to person. So then by the time I did, then I was... Oh, I remember this for... No more than a year, I took this really seriously, mm-hmm. and I got in my my audio my first audio editing program, a a freeware program called Goldwave, and I spliced up songs to get the exact parts of songs that I wanted, things that I would never find, for instance, you know, on the freeware the the free websites, you know, yeah. or or maybe like pay two ninety nine for this ringtone, you know, right. and I would make my own ringtones for each and every person, and for a while. Oh yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, hey, call me, call me. <laughs> Look, that's the thing that I have for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I realized that that stopped. That never happened anymore. Like I had this phone that had them all set up just the way I wanted to. No one was calling. And you. no one was calling. Not good. Well, all right. Sometimes just because I'm not very popular. That's but true. other times that's because, true. like, like John said, mostly you're communicating through text. Yeah. And then you create things called appointments. Ridiculous appointments. Even if it's just between two personal friends, it can't even be as casual as it used to be anymore. Where you just call someone up. Hey, bro, what's going on? Hey, I'm not doing anything right now. And it was so impromptu. Where you'd actually get the excitement, you know, of hearing a ringtone that meant them because you didn't expect it but then when you expect it because he's gonna call at nine he texted you earlier to tell you and you coordinated that then the excitement is all gone which means all those ringtones were absolutely useless which means that on successive phones i didn't even bother setting them up well it's it's not even it's not even that you have to set up ringtones i mean you don't just get the old information of what number's calling you and maybe it says you know up to like eight letters mom or you know christine but part of the words cut off because you only get eight letters now it's 
it shows the picture. And you don't even have to pick it up. You can look at it and you can go, wait, what's the last thing we talked about? So you click the button that has the text message and the phone's still ringing. You don't care. But yeah. you've seen the last few text messages. It's like, no, I said something mean last time. I don't want to talk to that person right now. And it's really the fact that our communication really systems are, erotic. <laughs> are just going backwards. We're going back to hieroglyphics in the form of emojis. We're going back to posting on walls like cavemen instead of communicating with one another. Like think, our society is going through a downturn where now you don't even make f- posts on Facebook. You put a picture on Facebook. I think that was your tinfoil hat. Yeah, that was the real tinfoil hat, but this was off air. And it's, it's we okay, first we meet in person because that was the only way. And then we had long distance communication. So we had that. But then we made it portable and that was the turning point where now you don't have to meet up with a friend to talk or you don't have to you know call their house and ask their dad is jerry available i, I and want then to on top to of him. that you made it portable and personalized yes so now it's like thought was hey, very novel at the time so how are you doing and then it, we got texting and texting was pretty revolutionary because now you can you cannot just talk to someone you can make the perfect sentence and that's where things started to get very well, important also there's another thing i think it's also the like that may have been the peak of like personalization where you also phones were so diverse at that time you had such a variety of phones where it was really important like what oh i've never seen that phone before that's a really cool phone and people were comparing back and forth i've noticed it's all kind of uh equaled out wow that you is either, that is either rectangular have, and a screen yeah you like smartphones kind of take away that that design of the phone really it's just it has to do a few things and there's really only a few phones that ergodynamically will actually perform the function you have a Apple and you have Android, and that's the one other thing I was going to bring well, up. You have Windows. Yeah, yeah you have. Mm-hmm. You have, have <laughs> had. Have, we don't know where it's going. But as I was saying, the the personalization deal. Um, uh, people who have iPhone, I'm not commi- uh, criticizing iPhone users. I've had a lot of people who, when they get iPhone, they really tell me that the personalization is not as important to them because the only the function is, which means that it really has hit critical mass. We had that era where everything's were, everything was so like, uh, you know, neurotically personalized, and now we just want the functions, and we actually will prefer it if they are tried and true, ubiquitous, and trusted. Therefore, you know, I think that's the trend now. Why personalize the ringtone? You can if you want to, but that's not really the point of the thing because iPhones, for instance, don't have as many personalization options as Androids do, which are also getting increasingly just a little bit more ubiquitous in style. And and then there's really the fact that while for a brief time your actual look and shape and feel of your phone was sort of intrinsic to your identity, which is why ringtones and things like that were intrinsic to your identity. Now Mm -hmm. the important parts of your phone are memory, battery life. Practical. We're moving into a pragmatic age. How good is the screen? How many cores do you have? How much stuff can you actually put on it and how fast can it do such things? So we're streamlining it. And just to go back to why we're not using music and things like that for ringtones or on screen, I'll be honest, I play a lot of mobile games the music kind of just sucks. I mean, that's be, part I of like, it too. It's, it's well, repeated MIDI sounds and things like that. Like, I'd for the say most part, even more importantly sucks. than it sucks is most mobile games drain the crap out of your battery to begin with and, and added sounds and music drain right. it further. So it's like, why would you bother working towards something that's only going to be coming out of, you know, crappy speakers anyway? And draining your battery more. And draining which is, your battery. Which is why I don't play Pokemon Go with the sound on. Because <laughs> as much Me as neither. I love the main theme of Pokemon and all the music that is done with Pokemon. Be the no, we're not... 
that's copywritten. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so um, prediction. Do you think that's going to, uh, cell phone music is going to get better in the future as battery gets better? Yeah. Battery's never going to get better. Hands down. But why would it even get no, better? No, no, no. Battery's never going to get better. Regardless of the fact that they want them to degrade, they want them to not be as good. So that it's you why you can't it. open the cases. It's okay, why I'm, both. I'm aware of that, but I'm aware of that theory, and I I, 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 I know it's probably true, but I don't think it's going to stand for too much longer. I think at some point the market is going to just demand it, and it will. Well, happen Samsung regardless. gave us back our micro SD card, so there's that. Right, so they're getting kinder. So theoretically, battery might not be you know too far off. But yeah, right. So assuming that, do you even still think that it's going to happen? Uh, because of like the cell phone audio, the cell phone speakers are so crappy. Do you think like there's going to be any motivation, even if battery was good? Do you still think there's going to be a motivation would, to I, improve no, 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 no. I would play game on, audio? I would play it on the podcast, but I'd have to use copywritten material, and I don't want to get in trouble for that. But my speakers freaking awesome. I yeah, don't know what you're phones, talking about. Well, I did, know, I did notice now. that you know they are really trying to market speakers that are really really small, but I guess claim to have the same level of sound as like giant box speakers would well and also most people don't use the speaker most people use headphones and but amateurs use earbuds you buy really awesome well, I guess if you were over the, the ear headphones that have like ridiculous yeah, sound you, and built-in batteries but if you, you are on the go if you are on the go you'd probably be ter- putting it on silent anyway we're talking again we're not talking about like you know i can't imagine people doing that for a, a cell phone game you know with headphones i maybe not but i also didn't imagine until this year that people would play a cell phone game that would be as popular or if not more popular than mainstream gaming it's got a hundred million downloads, so that Pokemon beats, Go that beats the uh, top ten triple so, A. So, so, so just, on the just, just to bring it up, I was the first to say, cell phone games, amateurs, video games are consoles and PC. Nobody plays a mobile game. I've spent more time playing Pokemon Go than any other console game in the last month. So I hit seventy k so, walking around. So I Sometimes would say you Steve, just need a game to zone out to. But but what I'm saying is, Steve, I think yes. I am now after that. I am wouldn't be surprised if they find the next level. I don't know what that'll be. I mean, they're already starting to put full size PlayStation video games on cell phones. Well, Original eight bit games like Mario and Sonic on cell phones. It's catering to people's desire to uh, fill up their lives every waking moment of their right. lives with something. Which is a no one totally can just different. Sit and just stare out the window in their commute. But which I happen to it. love doing. By God the way, damn it, I am the very best, as as no one ever was. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, so are how many other million people playing this game? Right. That's okay, and it's a community of a hundred million people. So meh. Very but best, but huh? but the, but the, the the other final crazy point I'll make is something I did notice listening to my own headphones. Phones, listening to my own music on the train is looking around a train car and seeing everybody doing the same thing. Either looking at their phone or listening to their music, nobody interacting, nobody looking out the window. Although the nobody looking out the window on the train thing is because they're so freaking overcrowded and I can't get a near a goddamn window to look out it. Well, and I will peer from afar and through <laughs> the weeds of people. But it just seems that uh, cell phones are now our window to the outside world, regardless of where we are. And Even if we have actual that's, windows. That's. Even if we're in the outside world, I think I it's the bigger point I was trying to yeah. make there. By the way, uh, listeners, I apologize in advance for it becoming the crazy rant hour or the old men complain hour, but there you have it. Hey, you, no, no, you're old men. I got my tinfoil hat. It's my crazy rant. Oh, well, that's fine. Um, let's. Why don't we? Why don't we do Yours our? This was weird. Why don't we do our spam for the week and uh, uh, close up shop, as they say? Nobody says that. 
Don't say that. Shopping for ad space. It could be a newspaper's posting, billboard, as well as radio station's area. Can be extremely high priced. Contributing to the stress would be the working hours spent considering the right list of words to mention all you need and limitations within your posting. By marketing and advertising your enterprise, by using a web page, potential clients have a chance to understand more about your products or services. Thank you, Jacques. At least he had a name. It was Jacques. Well, it was Jacques with two S's in a row. That sounds fake to me. That's true. You can't wait. How do you that, spell Jacques with two S's? That's not Jacques. That, it's, well, it's no. Jacques, it's, it's, it's technically, if, if S's are silent, uh, then it is still Jacques. Well, Jacques. That's true. Because both of them are useless. Both, both you could have a million S's. It'd still be Jacques. Jacques. <laughs> that's how French works, right? J a s s i s s i p p i. Yes, that's how you spell Jacques. There you right? go. Sure. Right? Or Giuseppe. You should turn that into a uh, French nursery rhyme. Please don't. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, Q, no. Q. John, why don't you tell us what we're doing next yeah, week? Q, Q, I, yes, so I, next I, week is my week, but we're not going to do my week because I'm going to be doing something a little bit different for my next choice, and we have a little bit of preparation. So thankfully, back in, I believe, March, yes. Knockjaw slash Jose uh, sent us two requests. And we did the first one, The Last Shadow Puppets, in... Episode 190. And now we're going to do The Heavy and their album, Hurt and the Merciless, as our next one. Mm. And um, I, me and John are both actually familiar with um, Short Change Hero by The Heavy I because it, it was featured in Borderlands 2. I looked it up. It took about 25 million plays on Spotify. I've probably done like... A million of them? 15%. Yeah, I'd say a solid 10 I love that to, song, to which was song. weird because I don't know how it fit on the rest of that particular the album. The record was, was very different. For that, yeah. but, but knowing that song and knowing their work, I am very excited to do this album. I'm also excited to do a second album Album by a listener who requested two albums at once, which was a first. So we don't want to shortchange you. It's also sec- oh, securing oh, his no, that's, position. That's a Steve pun. You have to give it back. Uh, well, <laughs> no, I don't want it. <laughs> no, it's also securing his position as the single most, having requested the most person album person on this podcast. He because rec- uh, actually he's he'll be at four when this is done, and the record is two. Uh, Mark was two. Kristen was two. That's it. And and, and and um, uh, Starf was too. Uh, yes. So yeah, yeah. Um, he's just moving further. Although into technically, securing if, his we position. Take, if we take Starf's list of recommendations of just stuff to listen to, I mean, he didn't want us to review those, but he sent us like a list of. But rap that's albums he said. Through. He didn't want us to review. He right, wanted. He's just, just like, listen. guys, you should listen to this stuff. Yeah. But don't bring it on the podcast. So like that that discredits the list. That's that's true. Not that the it? list was bad. The list was good. I don't think it I discredits like the, list. the list. It just says not everything is for Christ. Well, Christ. in in counting I think of, actually everything is requested. of the requests for because everything. it was it was a everything. non-request. We're just I'm waiting for for, for Matt <laughs> to actually finish us up. Oh I'll right, just because you'll going. just keep going and never he, shut he, up. I'll it's true. never shut up. I didn't do it during the spam, so I kind of have to do it pack now. Your bags, yeah. Just keep yeah, going, going. You're fired. Pack your bags. You're fired. Going and going. Sorry, I, like I take that back. I wish I hadn't said that. I'm taking your name tag. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let the door hit you with a good lord split you. <laughs> anyway, um, on that note, I will wrap us up by saying, as I do and we do every week, music is life and, and life, life is good. good. 
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.